Hello, Looney listeners. You're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. This is episode 30. And this episode, we will be reviewing uh, Spider-Man numbers 22 and 23 in our classic run. Um, and we'll also have a... Oh, we also have a special guest with us this episode. So um, sit back, relax, grab your issues out, and get your conchu on. Hello, loonies. It's Ray again, your High Priest of Conchu. I am here to take the steering wheel for this episode. Unfortunately, our other High Priest, Conchu, is away uh, for this episode, so hoping to have him back uh, next coming up episode. But um, as mentioned in one of our newsletters and from last week, we actually have a special guest this episode. So we are very happy to have uh, Chris from Defenders TV Podcast. Hi Chris, how are you? What's up guys? Thank you very much for having me aboard. Yeah, it's uh, look, I'm, I'm bloody stoked to actually have Chris on. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a milestone I think for Into the Night Podcast in the fact that Chris is our first live guest. Uh, not only that as well, but you know, um, being a, a massive fan of Defenders TV Podcast, having listen to them over the years um covering everything from daredevil to all the marvel movies uh it's just it's just pretty cool pretty cool and pretty surreal actually having uh, one of the defenders guys over on the podcast so thank you chris uh thank you for joining us and um i'm hoping you're ready for our foray into moon knight uh, but also one of your faves spider-man uh yeah i, I i've been actually looking forward to this as well um on I will try my best to um, keep the listeners from falling asleep. Um, I, I, I've been to, I've been told my my monotone uh, my monotone voice can sometimes drift people away. Uh, but more importantly, um, I'm looking forward to actually. Yeah, obviously, uh, those who don't know me, I'm uh, Chris. I'm one of three hosts on Defenders TV podcast. Um, we are basically the the pinnacle of MCU Netflix uh, reviews. So uh, every episode of Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, The Defenders, Iron Fist and Daredevil, we run through episode by episode, we break it down and then we let people know whether we defend each episode and the overall series. But as you said, we've also done the MCU, uh, the actual MCU films. So yeah, we're, we're, we're high up there and it has been a number of years, but... It's definitely been, it's been a fun journey. Uh, I'm looking forward to this podcast, obviously, because, uh, well, we get to talk about my favourite uh, superhero, which is Spider-Man, uh, and I'm going to talk at length about Spider-Man. <laughs> and then, of course, we also have uh, Moon Knight, which I will hold my hand up and say, probably until, I oh, yeah, he, he was a cursory character in my um, wheelhouse, if you want to call it that, for a long time. I knew who he was. I always considered him the Batman of the Marvel oh. universe. <laughs> no. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. I've learned more now. Yeah. I've learned more since listening to you guys and kind of uh, and uh, being into the Into the Nice group. 
um, because I do lurk in there. I don't post very much, but I lurk in there and I look at what you guys chat about. And I've learned a lot more. Um, but I'm hoping that through this episode you can school me in why he's really not Bruce Wayne. Yeah, uh, look, <laughs> more, more than happy to uh, yeah take you through some of Moon Knight's uh, other finer qualities as well. But look, hang on, just taking taking it back a little a little bit. You mentioned about your uh, your dulcet tones being quite soothing. Uh, I think we might be in a bit of trouble here, Chris, because uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier, or, or Connor, uh, I have an uncanny ability to to kind of make people yawn. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not proud of it by any means, and uh, I actually make a little game of it myself. I love to um, I love to talk to people and. Uh, I love to pick it when they yawn. You know when they yawn with their mouth closed? Oh, I, I find that hilarious. But anyway, <laughs> needless to say, I've seen it many a time. Uh, so, look, Loonies, I, I hope I'm not um, drifting you off to sleep. Um, we have a, a very cool guest with us today, and, and I can't wait to um, to crack into it as well. Uh, speaking about, yeah, Defenders and being around for so long, Chris, um, just a couple of, I guess, a couple of highlights um, that... Uh, just coming to my mind from listening to you guys for so long. Look, I always um, associate, uh, you know, listen to you guys uh, in, in particular scenarios, right? So I actually remember the the house that we lived at before, like before we're, where we are now. I remember actually walking around. It, it, it was around kind of like a bushland nature. I remember many a, a fine walk in the National Park, listening to the Defenders TV podcast, listening to you guys and listening to Daredevil Season 1. Uh, quite quite fond memories. You you, you also had a, a fourth um, host on as well, right? Is, is her name, what's her name, Irene? Or did I get that yes, right? Yes, yeah. we, we had a fourth host. It was, it was Irene, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was she was great as well. What, what happened? She, um, uh, she wasn't, podcasting wasn't a thing? or it, It's... No, and it wasn't even that. It was just, it's the usual life. Yeah, life gets yeah. in the way. Um, for those of for those who actually podcast, and you'll be able to attest to this, just sometimes finding time, because none, none of us do this. We do this for the love. We do this for the passion of, be it the Marvel Universe, or in particular one character, etc. Um, so finding time and fitting your standard life around that time can get difficult. Um, and yeah, no, we're we're all still great friends. We all hang out. It's just the guys and I have a bit more free time. Um, so she just unfortunately couldn't. Uh, but we, we've talked every now and again. And we're considering. She's thinking about how we can get her back for the odd episode, if yeah, possible. Cool. Um, no, but uh, at the moment, yes, it's just the three defenders. Yeah, who yeah, knows? Yeah. Maybe in. Maybe we'll have a crossover where it would be the five defenders with you guys. Oh, yeah. but Moon Knight wasn't a defender, was he? No, so well, that's not going to work. He was no, he wasn't. But we just recently covered um, the defenders, the old iteration of the defenders uh, back in the seventies, and and Moon Knight had a, a quite a big uh, role in a a big arc that they had as well. I think it spanned from issues forty seven to fifty or fifty one. Um, so Moon Knight was your kind of unofficial defender in that in that scenario. Uh, so yeah, you can kind of loosely connect him to, okay. to it. Uh, okay, we'll go the defenders and then the unofficial defense. Two other defenders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know how good it will be to call you the unofficial kind of defenders, but yeah, it, we can try. We'll, we'll, oh, yeah. Someone will let us away with it. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't help our cause for sure. But yeah, no, I mean, as you say, I'd I'd love to hear um, Irene back as well. You guys had a, a great rapport with her. Um, uh, obviously, the three of you now are, are you know, rock solid and, and awesome. 
um, over, oh God, what is it? Is it over 250 or 300 episodes, including Gotham, right? Uh, Yeah, so I'm actually not part of the Gotham, um, more just because I've never been a huge DC fan. I, okay. I, I do. Yeah, me too. I watch all the DC films. Mm-hmm. I watch, like, I, I still love The Flash. Mm-hmm, I watch mm-hmm. The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow when I can. Arrow, I, I, I dip in and out of. Um, I'll always watch the DCEU, although that's uh, uh, oh, that's a yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a mess mess of a yeah. universe at the moment. Yeah, it's um, a especially just actually yesterday. News broke. I think it was yesterday, day before that Josh Whedon has pulled out of Batman, yeah. or Batgirl, I should say. Batgirl, yeah. Which uh, that's terrible news for that. That, but he he was pretty much open and honest, and he went, mm. "I didn't have a story," well, and I'm like, yeah. "Well, it's better than building something and filming something that was going to be another terrible yeah. kind of mess." Exactly. You, um, you don't want to have Josh Whedon cornered somewhere and just feeling like you know he has to churn something out just for the sake of it. Um, uh, I yeah, think I read also. Definitely well, not. Yeah, I think Gail Simone. I think she said that she'd be interested in maybe writing something for Batgirl, um, the movie. So a bit of hope. Yeah, know. but uh, it's a bit of hope. But I, I there's a and I think the long and the short is that there's a lot of work to be done there when you put it in comparison to the ten plus years of the MCU. Um, but they each have different qualities. Some of them have uh, more recognisable superheroes than others. Like, because you could argue that Superman is a lot bigger of a superhero from a pop culture piece than the Spider-Man or the the, the Iron Man. Uh, who say they say Iron Man, Iron Man to Spider-Man. Like they're they're completely different. They're different in terms of pop culture reference. And if you go to everyone, if we had a said less than 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, someone, okay, you're going to go see Iron Man, you're going to love him, you're going to want him in every film, uh, over over Superman, people would have been like, oh, exactly. What are you talking about? Who is this person? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do hope they get it, and, but Gotham, and the, sorry, our listeners and the loonies <laughs> should actually know by now, if they don't actually know about my style, is I'm, I, I like tangents, yeah. So basically, we've just spoken for a tangent of about like five minutes. I'm going to bring it all the way back. Going, yeah. I I, I watched the first season of Gotham, mm-hmm. and then I'm so far behind. The guys, it's just like it never made sense for me to come in. Yeah. I come into the odd Gotham podcast where we do the movie okay. reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when the guys want, but mostly at the moment I stick on the the Marvel side of the house. But yeah, I think together we're over over three hundred. Wow. We've, we've got um. An umbrella. If anyone just likes all the umbrella kind of things, we have a TV, a TV podcast industries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry, podcast TV industries, uh, where you have your Gotham. We had um, the Hannibal uh, TV show one. If anyone likes that, John, John and Irene did a lovely rendition uh, and breakdown of that show. Uh, and then we obviously have all the MCU uh, and the Netflix ones through defenders it's a massive a massive catalog and uh and for any uh any loonies that haven't uh, well actually have watched all the tv shows and would like a review an in-depth review of each episode i cannot um recommend enough to go check out uh defenders tv podcast and and gotham as well look i, I haven't i'm not really a, a dc person myself as well chris um 
it just happened to be, I guess, circumstance. I think I think I started with Marvel, and there was just so much in there. It, it, it's kind of like for me, it's kind of like classical music and jazz music, right? You, you either do one or the other because it takes a whole lifetime to actually know and love one, you know, and let alone you know try yeah. to try to get the other one. So, um, you know, I'm trying to get into Batman, but I just I just I just can't. I mean, I really like the the Tom King uh, thing, but there's just so many titles out there, so I, I can't. Um, yeah, you've got to you've got to kind of ration your your funds. <laughs> so um, exactly, and the, the the thing I find back in the day when we we were kids, we could like we didn't have to worry about rent or mortgages or anything like that. It was pocket money. Great. Okay, I need to buy sweets and comic books. Yeah, that's it. Now, obviously, <laughs> speaking of as an old fat kid, I used to probably put more money towards sweets, but I've learned to kind of ration it out towards more comic books then. Um, but now, like, yeah, so it's one of the reasons I love, I, I, I've, I used to collect every issue I could. I have back in my old parent, in my parents' house, I should say, I've got, you know, the big, big, big trays, uh, like where you would put the, the single issue catalogs. I've got about six or seven of them. Like the long boxes. Just with all my old, yeah. the long boxes. Oh, wow. Just, I uh, have six or seven of them, just of everything I used to collect as a kid. That's awesome. Uh, and then... As I started going to college, I didn't have space, so I went into the the trade paperbacks, uh, just the graphic novels. I, I still have like, and then I kind of keep them because they're the ones I want. But then I I just went digital because mm. space was an issue. Like I, it's like it's become a big thing now. I when I can, I'll pick up uh, the, the 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 single issues if it's something special like Damnation yes. or. Like um, some of the big, big events that I really want, but other than that, I go digital. But the issue with the digital is a lot of them sometimes don't go day and date. Like so, and like they don't go day and date. So when someone actually releases the single issue to the comic book shop, you you may not get that issue on the digital, uh, I'll say, like Comicsology or Marvel Unlimited on the exact same day. You may ah. have to wait 24 hours yeah, or right, sometimes right, right. 48. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, a huge annoyance for me. Yeah, and, and especially with, uh, I think, social media and stuff, uh, the impetus to actually uh, get your books on time is quite uh, important these days because uh, if you go on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, uh, you've immediately got discussions and you don't want to be left out. And, and that's what I find with comics is that you've really got to have your finger on the pulse because... Uh, you know, for titles that you like, because if you don't, then either something will be spoiled or that um, yeah, you kind of feel left behind. So uh, yeah, totally agree with you with with digitals. Um, the way I tackle it is uh, stuff like you know, like Moon Knight. You, the ones that you you really do make a concerted effort to to collect. Like for instance, like with, with floppies and singles, I'd I just I'd pick that. Like Moon Knight, um, Damnation, the big series is of course I do that as well. And the titles, which you, you kind of love, but yeah, you're kind of on the fence. Um, yeah, I, I always go for the digitals. But what I have is a, is a secret clause after that, a little separate clause going, okay, well, if I really enjoyed the digital, okay, then I'm going to buy this in trade. <laughs> you know, so you end up buying it twice, and it's uh, it kind of gets you every time. But you know, sometimes you you read a digital and it kind of fizzes. Um, uh, look, you know, uh, just just. We're talking about tangents. Here's another tangent for you. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just re- recently rereading uh, Inhumans, Once in Future Kings by Christopher Priest. 
Um, and I just only just recently got the final issue. It's a five-part mini, right? And uh, and uh, it's just because other things got in the way, so I said, uh, well, I won't get the last issue. I finally got the last issue. I've reread the whole thing again, and I'm going, man, this is good. Reading back to back, it's a really compelling story. It's it, you know, I wasn't too um, impressed when I read it month to month, but it's like, man, this is good. Yeah. All in a row. So I'm I'm playing with the idea of actually, oh, oh there's a cat. I'm playing with the idea of um, of of buying the thing. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, comic collecting is a funny thing, I must say. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll raise my hand and say the odd time now, uh, the odd time I have, if I can't find a back issue on Marvel Unlimited or Comicsology, or DC's version, uh, the online version, I will go, uh, to I will go down the the torrent route, the mm-hmm. old PDF uh, yeah, route, uh, yeah, and that's on, really yeah. only because yeah, I, I think a lot of us do it, but yeah. I have a I, similar to you, I have a clause which is. As soon as I, I'll go to my local comic book shop in Dublin, and I'll go, I'll ask them to try and pick me up um, a hardback version or a trade paperback version or any version they can of. So I always put back into yes either the comic book shop or the the overall ecosystem. But it's getting harder because so I'll give you an example. There's a fantastic DC. Actually, there is. This is one of my actual only DC. There was a the the Starman, uh, kind of. Uh, he's a. It was a comic book from the nineties around then, and it basically it was one of the first re- reinventions of uh, one of the old Silver Age heroes called Starman. It's about his son Jack Knight who takes over, and it was this really dark. It was this really dark version of kind of Star City and all these amazing things. I'm just going to pull up who did it again um, because I feel terrible for not remembering who who it was. Oh, look, I'm, um, I'm, while you're looking that up, I'm really terrible with DC. Star City, is that is that where the Flash is? No. Uh, okay. I think so. Okay. Oh, Let I me just no pull idea. it up now. So his dad was a member of the GSA, which is the Justice Society of America. But it was done by Publication History. Oh, come on. Just tell me who who actually... James Robinson and Tony Harris. There we go. Um, very. It was a really... It was a good thing. It was... Uh, 2000... 2009... 1994. There we are. Wow, okay. So, yeah. Um, 1994, Jack Knight. It was a really good piece, and I'd recommend a few people looking at the um, the the overall run. It was fantastic. It ended quite abruptly because they cancelled them basically, um, but it was a nice one where there there's sex, there's drugs, there's rock and roll, um, and it was one of those first comic books to do that. They yeah. reinvented Salmon Grundy, okay, um, a lot of those things, uh, but it was one of it was one of those ones where anyway to go back off. Back to the tangent. The reason I bring this guy up is <laughs> I had I started buying the 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 hard the the hardback collections. So I started because I read this as a kid. I can't remember. What, I think it was one like someone gave it to me as a kid, and I started reading it. And then I re this is about a year, year and a half ago. I remembered it. Uh, I want to reread that. So I went to my comic book shop and they couldn't get it for me. 
They just couldn't. They couldn't. There was no back issue. So then I went online and I managed to get collections one, two, three, and five. And I, no one, nowhere, not eBay, not uh, Amazon, nowhere could get me collection number four. And I said so that one, I had to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to tarrant this one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just because yeah, yeah. I can't go one, two, three. Of course. Not of know course. what happens in the four collection and then jump straight to five. That would frustrate me as well, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. okay, so you tore it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I turned to that, and then I, but then my uh, local comic book shop uh, basically managed to go, after about, a, about six months, goes, oh my god, we got this for you. And I'm like, great. So I just bought it. I, I, now I have the collection of them. Oh, and I feel better, but I just, that, that, that whole. Yeah. There was a point in me where I'm like, I'm not going to wait and not read five. Was like, yeah. Ah. But yeah. anyway, I put back into the ecosystem. What You're I'm trying that- to say. Well, that's it. Yeah, it's very important to put back in the, into the ecosystem as well. And look, um, I think any comic collector would be lying if they said that they haven't dipped their toe into into having to resort to that, you know, um, because everyone has their white whale, you know. Uh, my, mine would be, um, oh, you know, there are a few. Everyone's got them few, you know. Like, I, I love my Valiant comics as well, and um, I, I'm collecting the hardcover Valiant uh, Deluxe Editions. Uh, they look really beautiful, Chris, on the on the shelf. You you know, it's a real, real stunning, really stunning piece. But um, there's a volume one of Archer and Armstrong and volume one of Bloodshot, which are which are really hard to find. I you know they're going for like four hundred bucks on eBay. So um, I'm not not that keen to impart. Wow. Yeah, I'm not that keen <laughs> to to spend that much on it. Um, but they are kind of my white whales. So uh, everyone's got one. Uh, everyone's got them. Uh, but it's good to hear that you, you managed to find Starman because that sounds like a very obscure um, trade collection, you know. And, and everyone has that, you know. Everyone has. Oh, it was. Yeah, everyone has those stories that uh, kind of veer away from the mainstream, but you somehow connect to it, and it, it starts becoming quite a an important um, important volume to, to to have, you know, if if you're a collector. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Heading back towards uh, Defenders TV podcasts as well, uh, what I was uh, wanted to know as well, Chris, was like how how do you know like how do you know Derek and John like how do you guys come about and Irene as well? I guess how did the whole thing kind of start? Um, did did someone have a podcast first and and everyone went okay that's pretty cool or or, or um, did you did you all have one or how did it, how did it happen? Um, so Derek and I used to work together in a company, um, in our day jobs, in our uh, alternate personas or your, or if you want to call it that. Um, so we worked together for years and we were just good friends and that's how I, I knew the, 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 the three, John and Irene as well through Derek and uh, myself and John then became good friends as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boys had Gotham, um, when we found out about Daredevil um, starting. And they just kind of, myself and Derek had been friends and shared comic books and nerdy discussions and everything for so long that they said, hey, we do this Gotham one. I knew about Gotham, I'd listened to it and I was one of the first subscribers on the podcast and then went, sure, yeah, let's let's do it. They, they knew, so the one... The one good thing I have is a, a, a crazy, stupid, encyclopedic knowledge of useless information about 
um, the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Like Psylocke's Psy- brother and yes. is actually Captain Britain, blah, blah, blah. Awesome character. All these little things. Yeah. And that's where it kind of came up. And that's how we kind of, we, we did one, uh, we all did, like, we, we did one recording. And after that, it was like, yeah, no, this, this is great. Uh, and then uh, the, the initial was kind of like, okay, let's just see how Daredevil goes yeah. and take it from there. And we did the Daredevil bug and it, it bit us. And since then, it's over 120, 130. Yeah, yeah. It's up to 130 something. I think we're... we're yeah. yeah, I think we just recorded 133. Um, and that's been... And we're just waiting now for Jessica Jones season two. Yeah, and so, then we have Luke Cage season two. Yeah. So, so no one was a, because um, I know just from speaking with the guys as well, and like, so you're a Spidey fan. Uh, Derek's a, a, a very, a very big Nick Fury, Agents of Shields fan, and um, and John's a, oh, we all know as a Doctor Strange fan as well. So no one was like a huge Daredevil fan, or was it just the fact that uh, Netflix was kind of touting this new series that? Kind of generated this this enthusiasm to to um, to focus on on Netflix shows or, or uh, yeah. um so I got so I I wouldn't call myself a huge Daredevil fan I am a Daredevil fan um, especially since the Kevin Smith run um, so one of my favorite directors producers writers is Kevin Smith and he did a fantastic run on Daredevil um, and then. That kind of, and then Spider Man and Daredevil have quite a, a sordid history of back and forth, and, and tie ins and so forth. So I, I would frequently dip into that Hell's Kitchen universe, um, and then I kind of, yeah, and then it was so that was kind of for me the yeah let's do this because I do know enough about the Kingpin and the 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 the, the other. Mm. The obscure guys like the Gladiator. Yes, uh, Melvin um, Potter. Who was in season one? Cameo. Yeah. Uh, so it was all those. It was just kind of all made sense. If they hadn't said, "Hey, we're doing a Spider-Man uh, Marvel Netflix show," I'd be like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a, that's yeah. a no-brainer." Yeah, um, yeah. But Daredevil was kind of like, hey, "It's close enough. Let's do this." Can I say then? What if what if the first Netflix show was was Moon Knight, would you be just as interested, or, <laughs> or uh... just as just as interested? But it yeah. would just take me a lot more. I'd be like, okay, now I, I need I have a lot more uh, back issue reading to do because <laughs> <laughs> I, I as I was saying to you before we started the podcast, it was kind of like, yeah, I'm, my knowledge here has is mm-hmm. is underwhelming for me. Um, mm. uh, as I said, I knew him at in the fringes, and I, I I say it as a joke to the loonies. He was for me the Batman of the end, the yeah. Marvel universe, um, because he had a flying moon. Of course, he, yeah. He was he was a billionaire. He all these things. Uh, I know there is a lot more ever since kind of listening to you guys, and also um, from listening to you guys and from being in the group, learning these and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, I I would have just been. I would have just been into it as much, probably slightly just a bit more. Oh God, I need to I need to learn so much more about this mm-hmm. character. <laughs> but uh, since yeah, go ahead. Oh look, ad- ad- admit yeah, 
so sorry. I mean, just, uh, just admittedly, Daredevil has a higher profile than Moon Knight, of course. So, uh, you, you know, you speak to anyone that that you know has any inkling with with comic book collecting, and they mention Daredevil, and then they mention Moon Knight. Obviously, Daredevil's like the bigger, you know, the the the, the higher tier character for sure. Yeah, but then it's and I wouldn't. Even, I think Moon Knight has picked up in. Now again, I don't know if this is actually true, but in my in my social sphere, and I think it's probably because you guys are in it. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that in my head now, Moon Knight has become a larger character in the the Marvel universe. Yeah. But then I'm like, actually, could that just be all you guys talking about him so often? <laughs> um, but but let's not say that. Let's say that actually, <laughs> in the last few years, he has come up in the world or in, in the, the comic book world as a as a. I, and I actually think it is, it's true. I think he was always a bit of a a, a B mm-hmm. C lister because and he wouldn't get as many runs, but <clears throat> um, he's the character has evolved so much and they've had some fantastic writers on that I think a lot of guys are coming in now going well we can do a lot with this character they don't need to play it as safe as they would with some of the, the other larger characters he is a bit of a lonely not say a lonely island or lone island I should say um, in that you could do a lot of crazy stuff mm. with the run that you're writing and it won't affect Civil War 2 the overall event, if you know what I mean, he 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 can be in it. He, I think he was in. Was uh, he, he was in me- Civil War One. He, or he was uh, Civil War One. Uh, he uh, he he tied into it. Uh, I don't know about yes. the, the core books, but he his uh, his current his run at that time was heavily tied into it as well. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but it's just also like you can get away with like bringing the Egyptian gods in, and no one goes, "Well, no." Yeah, uh, look, I think you hit it absolutely on the head there in the fact that um, that there have been a slew of really good writers and artists and it's almost become, like, you know, the loonies probably know this, it's, it's almost become uh, a fact that, and, and he's so detached that uh, it's become a bit of a, a nice little sandbox for writers and artists because it's so detached from the Marvel Universe, you can, you can go at it, basically. You can go to town with Moon Knight and, and that's what you see with... Um, been fortunate enough to have some really good writers like uh, like uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Charlie Houston as well, Warren Ellis, uh, Cullen Bunn. You know, recently I'd say from uh, yeah, right from about the mid two thousands onwards, uh, Moon Knight's been pretty lucky to have uh, a really really cool creative teams which take him in different directions. Like the downside of that um, is that. Every time you get the new creative team, it seems to re- they seem to reinvent Moon Knight. Uh, you know, well, you could argue that they they add to his add to his canon, but um, like we're finding out with Bemis and Burroughs now, the current run, which is Volume Nine of Moon Knight, very different, very different from Lemire's run, which has been absolutely stellar the the previous run before. Um, so it kind of rubs some loonies up the wrong way, and and I can see why because you know you, you want some sort of um, consistency, or you, you know, you'd want uh, some sort of um, faithfulness to, to you know the Moon Knight legend. But writers have this flexibility to actually just do what they want. So I, th- I think there's a bit of there's pros and cons for both, and and uh, I think that's what makes Moon Knight really really special um, to yeah to, to have on board. So um, yeah, uh, look, I, I just 
also wanted to ask as well just about um, about podcasting, right? So you say that you, you met up with, uh, like you worked with Derek and, um, you know, became friends through work and you found out this whole podcasting thing. So was Derek the impetus then of, of podcasting? Um, was there any background with radio work from any of you guys? Like, you know, um, how was it? Was it was it just a bit of fun because you guys loved discussing it that, you, you know, thought, hey, you know, this is pretty cool. Um, why not just, uh, yeah. Uh, so it was a bit of both. So uh, I, in my previous life before my current job, I was PR. So I had done uh, interview, radio training, etc. Um, so, and also, uh, as my mother says, I could talk to a stone wall and <laughs> if it would talk back to me. Um, so I, for me, talking has never been an issue. Um, so I'm always happy with that. Um, then I personally ran a blog, or I still do, I should say, with the guy, with some friends of mine. So that has involved radio uh, interviews in in Ireland. So we've done that, which is just as easy. And then Derek and John, as I said, they were running Gotham, and they asked, "Do we want to do this one for Daredevil?" And it just kind of flew, f- flowed from that very much. Uh, there was an element of yeah, we talk about like when we would go over myself and myself and my girlfriend or now fiance, back then girlfriend would go over and uh, to Derek and John's and we would talk about like we'd end up having these 30, 40 minute conversations. Yeah, where having a blank faced look on my girlfriend's face, she's not really into comic books. Well, that's what uh, I was we'd gonna... have this conversation yeah. about like why. <laughs> The Secret Avengers is just as yeah. good yeah, as yeah. some of the other ones, and yeah. why that actually that comic book run was terrible, or why this character could beat up that character, those kind of conversations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, look, I, I it, think it was always a good one. Yeah, I um I see a lot of similarities here, Chris, with uh, with myself and and yourself and your fiance. Um, <laughs> that, that kind of rings true from what you say as well. Uh, I was I was about to ask, you know, the, is she into comics as well? But clearly, clearly not. Um, uh, yeah. one, one of the although funniest, she's she yeah. likes Jessica Jones now, thanks to Christian Ritter, she loves Jessica Jones. Well, I think that's a great thing about Netflix as well. Um, it, and especially Jessica Jones, it, it's not it's not your typical superhero-y kind of thing that you know. There's not capes flying and stuff. And and I've heard many stories of people who aren't comic book fans or who. who who just like you know watching good TV and are really invested in something like Jessica Jones because it's just good solid drama you know, um, yeah. I, um, I was about to say because like my partner Reef as well. Look, she's she's absolutely nothing. She's not into comics at all as well. Uh, we, we were watching Black Panther. Uh, I, I, surprising, like I, I managed to get her to watch Black Panther with me, which she really loved as well. She really enjoyed. Um, but but uh, one of the trailers was Infinity War. And it had, you know, you, you've probably seen the trailer or the teaser for it, and it had all that stuff. 100%, yeah. She saw Benedict Cumberbatch, and she turned to me and she goes, oh, I didn't know Sherlock was part of the Marvel Universe. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's Benedict Cumberbatch, but no, remember we watched Doctor Strange? He's a, he's a different guy. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I share your, uh, your sentiments um, with... Uh, yeah, with partners, so um, it it, get, it gets hard sometimes when you're trying to get them to. No, trust me, this is a really good show. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, she really, um, but, she, yeah. 
But yes. using like Punisher, I've managed to get certain people uh, into the Netflix piece because of the Punisher. Yeah. Um, which is just basically an espionage thriller. With yeah, yeah. Very little, and then you you but you then take Daredevil, which is crime, and then ninjas, and then you have Iron Fist, which is a bit more. The Iron Fist, yeah. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. the world's best series, no. but it will get better. Trust me. It will be. It had, it had some rays of sunshine, but it will get better. Oh, uh, look, I, I think they're going to learn massively from season one, and I think uh, I'm actually really looking forward to season two for Iron Fist, uh, which I know they're in production at the moment, um, and I just can't wait for it because I think they will have learned a lot from it, um, from the first, kind of gauging what fans are expecting. So, um, yeah, 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 uh, definitely looking forward to all of that. Uh, look, we better get soon onto our comic book reviews on on Marvel. Oh, sorry, on Moon Knight as well. Uh, look, just a couple of quick fire questions then, Chris, um, as well. So go first. Uh, okay, of all the released um, film and TV iterations of comic book characters at the moment, who, who would you who would you what what would be the the summit of what would be your favourite adaptation? So far, it can be TV or movies. Uh, okay, so the 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 number one for me at the moment is still Home Homecoming, Spider Man Homecoming. Ah, yeah, yeah. Be that because he is one of my favorite characters of all time. It is very similar to the Brian Bendis run of Ultimate Spider Man, which mm-hmm. is one of the best reimaginings of the character in a long time. He brought him uh, like. The thing about Spider-Man, he's the everyman, but not, if you know what I mean. He's the the geek that a lot of us kind of associate with, uh, being as a child. But he's got the super intelligence. But yeah, he's also, when he gets in a tight spot, he becomes quippy. So, I really enjoyed the Homecoming run. I really enjoyed bringing him into the MCU. There were some elements of it which was like, But overall, that would still be my epitome. Of course, Civil War. Of course, Winter Soldier. Mm. They are fantastic. Black Panther, for a host of reasons, is amazing. But um, I would... If I'm being true to myself and not worrying about numberings and reasonings of why one is better than the other, I'd always go home. Spider-Man is Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a nice little warm feeling, I think, when when I watched it as well. Uh, Tom Holland was, was fantastic in it. Uh, I I definitely like um, Winter Soldier as well. I think that was really good. Civil War, I I, I really do enjoy. And Black Panther, as you mentioned, it's funny. It's one of those recent Marvel films that I'm kind of really wanting to see again. Like, are are you wanting to see it again as well? Or are you happy with what you saw? Uh, uh, Yeah? No, I'm dying to to re-watch it. Um, It's going to be one of those... So we, uh, for anyone who really wants a really in-depth review, yes, we 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 did our film review. Go over to Defenders TV podcast. And that was fantastic. The last episodes, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, is our review. But there is the more and more I've been thinking about it, and anyone who's on the internet knows that there has been. This has been a tough one, which is there. There's culture, there's culture, there's race, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other things thrown into this mm-hmm. to this film um, and against this film. I wanted to actually see the reason I want to see it again, and this is the truth: is how much of the external 
I love the film. I, mm-hmm. I should mm-hmm. want to put that down there. How much of the film and my love of the film was instigated by external pressures? And I don't think anything was. I think it was just a perfect storm of really good writing, really good direction. Was is there some imperfections? Yes, but like uh, there's enough. There's the, one of the best MCU villains, in my opinion, is in this film because of his rationale, his reasoning, and the reason he wants to do what he does. Um, but I, I want to see if any of that. So I probably will go again quite soon. Um, but it's just the the, the when, yeah. I, uh, unfortunately, because life gets in of, the way. Of of course, and and I think I know where you're coming from as well. Like you know, um, you know, at the risk of sounding you know uh, half uh, <laughs> I don't know controversial or whatever. Uh, look, I love Black Panther as well. I do wonder exactly uh, with you about you know how much was it influenced from external. Factors of, of uh, you know social uh, social depiction and all that. Um, yeah. It was a very it was a very solid film. It was it was fantastic. Um, I think as well. I think it could have done without the massive amount of hype for it. You know, it, it got a massive amount of hype, which is uh, which it, which is uh, um, you know deserved. You know, but like what what it does when you do. Hype and overhype something is that you do raise expectations from people going to see it, and the, and you know, and if you do go in expecting the bee's knees of something because something is like I got the same impression with uh, remember the Blair Witch Project. I don't know if when you remember when that yeah. came out, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the detriment to that was because everyone kept on saying, "Oh my god, it, this is the scariest thing you'll ever see." So you walk into it thinking, oh, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be." scared, you know, I'm, I'm out of my bones, you know. Uh, and then you get that disappointment because you've built it up so much because of this overhype. And I think, unfortunately, with Black Panther, there's a little bit of that as well. Totally agree with you about everything else. It, it is a, it's a very solid film. It's, it's up there as well. I mean, I think um, I sent some comments to you guys as well saying it's, it's hovering around the top five as well. Um, you know, it's not a perfect film by any, by any means, uh, but it's, it's enough there to be a, a, an enjoyable and look my barometer is Eve as well my partner non non comic book kind of fan she can came out of it going that was really cool like she loved all the yeah. like all the characters and for, I was actually worried for her um and and I felt that that kind of marred a little bit of my experience because um when you saw the flying jets and stuff go through Wakanda I'm kind of there thinking oh gosh is Eve thinking oh my gosh this is such a out of the world thing you know i was worried about how how she think um what she'd think of it whereas i should have just i shouldn't have worried at all but because she, she enjoyed it like you know for what it was she knew yeah. it was she knew it was a sci-fi thing and and she didn't you know she didn't go oh my god that's so unbelievable she, she loved the whole the whole idea so it was a yeah it was a a very interesting thing but yeah um Okay, yeah, yeah. So Black Black Panther, uh, Loonies. If you if you want to hear a very good review, seriously, these guys uh, over two hours or so, um, and, and very and, and it flew by. Don't get me wrong, Chris. It was really cool. Uh, my my favorite my favorite bit out of it, and I think the Loonies would appreciate it. My favorite bit. Just uh, keep an ear out for what Derek and I think Derek and Chris were talking about. Bast, the uh, the Panther God. And the potential connection yeah. there between Egyptian gods and uh, one of our, our good mates, Conchu. So, so uh, 
there, it, lo- it leaves a little door there for for all of us Moon Knight fans, and um, yeah, yeah, it's a really good review. So go, so go check it out at um, Defenders TV podcast. Um, a, a couple other things, Chris, quickly. Um, the Spidey films. We know you love Homecoming. In a nutshell, what do you reckon of the Andy Garfield ones, uh, and what do you think of the Tobey Maguire ones? Did you? Uh, okay, so quick fire. <laughs> Toby Maguire was the one of the first. And back in the day, we didn't have much. We had a very campy Batman um, in terms of kind of the George Clooney, the Val Kilmers. Um, it was a camped comic book universe. So this was one of the Sony's first attempts. And Toby Maguire kind of did right then epitomize what we saw as Peter Parker from the comic books and the. It was spectacular for its day. Back then it was. We didn't have much of that. So seeing Spider-Man rushing through the city was mm. just amazing. Um, I prefer... If I have to, I go Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man, and then Spider-Man 3 for that. Spider-Man Me 3 too. is a bit of a mess of a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it was supposed to be a two-parter. They crammed everything in. There was a lot in that. And it... If you want to read about it, look it up. There's a Comedy of Errors article about the truth behind that production. Um, and it, it wasn't trusted. that There was going to be a Spider-Man 4. Yes. Um, but then they cancelled it, etc. So, uh, uh, Raimi wanted, wanted uh, the Vulture, right? That's what I heard. He wanted the Vulture yes. in the fourth. And they Sony said no. And he said, okay, well, that's it then. Is that right? Well, there's a bit more to it as well, which is Tobey Maguire... Toby Maguire was not happy with the reception of number three. Um, he was getting older. They didn't know. Uh, Raimi, there was a lot of tension post number three between Raimi and Sony, the executives, because they forced a lot of the reshoots. There was huge amounts of reshoots in that. Yeah. Um, they forced the, the the additional some of the additional villains. They forced the uh, the goblin the. Who was it? Uh, oh, my God. Harry. Harry Osborne. DeFranco. Yeah, DeFranco, yeah. Yeah, uh, but DeFranco. The, the um, they forced him coming in as that villain uh, already, and then the, the, the changes. And there's a lot... It's a comedy of errors. Yeah. But well, then, yeah. because of the reception, they they decided, forget about this, we're going to reboot, and that's how we got uh, Garfield. Okay. And uh, and Garfield wasn't um, uh, was was your was that your cup of tea? How did you find Amazing Spider-Man one and two? Okay, so one <laughs> it was good. It, yeah, I liked it, one as well. Sol- was... It's a solid kind of it, it's he he's a different he's again a different take. He's a millennial take on Spider-Man. It was a bit slower, um, I thought. Yes. It was like two. It was one of the first ones. Was like two, two, two hours fifteen, I think, or something. Mm. Two twenty, maybe. Yeah. It was. It was a long film. I remember that. Um, but they wanted to set up the world, and I enjoyed it. Like it, it was. I actually watched it recently on Netflix, uh, just for shits and giggles, kind of thing. Just kind of <laughs> wanted to start getting back into it. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's actually. Okay, he's a broody, cry Spider-Man in much of the way that Tobey Maguire cries, and there's that meme of it online. Yeah, he's a, okay. He's a bit more whingy, but then the quips he does do. So if we remember, there's that scene in number one where he's, <coughs> the, 
there's that scene in number one um, where he is uh, in the with the car, car, park. car safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's just going, oh, no, don't knives, my yeah. worst enemy. Oh, don't, please don't. Like, that is a very Spider-Man moment. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I, number two is a shambles. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, a shambles of a I, film. I agree. Like, Amazing Spider-Man was, I, I enjoyed it. it. To me, it took a little bit to um, get used to with the pacing because it was different from the Sam Raimi ones. I'm a, I'm a big Sam Raimi fan, like uh, Evil Dead. Um, I, I, oh, I, amazing. I, like, Oh, I've got countless times I've watched that trilogy over and over. I love Evil Dead 2, obviously, and Army of Darkness. Um, uh, uh, me and my mates always quote from it, <laughs> you know, so uh, we love it. So, yeah, but um, Mark Webb's version was a lot slower. And I agree, the second one, although you had the, the likes of Jamie Foxx and stuff, and you had more, you had the Rhino, Paul, was it Giometti? Um, yeah. As a Rhino. Oh gosh, I bought that on Blu-ray, and unfortunately, I hate to say it, I I tried to watch it and I I couldn't. <laughs> I I had to stop. I, I just lost interest in it. Uh, I think the pacing and and the storytelling was was a little was a little off. Um, let alone, you know, let alone the 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 goblin in that as well. Um, tying it back to yeah. also. Tying it back to the Goblin, though, Chris, I thought um, one of the shining things with with Spider Man three. And and funny that you mentioned that um, you know bringing back Harry uh, Osborn the the Goblin in it. What I thought was really fun about Spider Man Three was the team up because when I grew up collecting Spider Man, a lot of it was about guest appearances and team ups with someone to you know to beat a, a villain. You know, um, so I was going to ask you next as to what would you if you could cast back into the plethora of Spider Man stories that you've read. What would be your favourite Spider-Man team-up, and who who would that be? Like, would it be the Punisher? Um, he's had many times with the Punisher, many many encounters with the Punisher. There's there's a big one with Moon Knight, the um the Sidekicks Revenge around Robin, which yeah. I'd love I'd love to get you guys I'd love to get you back on it, um because that's a fantastic arc with uh with Moon Knight and and Spider-Man. But uh you know you got your Spider-Man Deadpool as well um. I remember Web of Spider-Man with a with a Hulk. Uh, so yeah, so who would you rate as a, a nice team up? Okay, I'm going to cheat, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to take the the, the uh, into the Spidey verse, um, the that event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is basically Spider-Man from across the multiverse. It's all uh, just different yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good call. But this the reason I do this is because it gave us Spidey Gwen. Yes, the Spidey Gwen was spun directly out of this, which is a Elseworlds kind. Of, sorry, not Elseworlds, but a multiverse. Uh, I'm talking DC there for a second. Um, <laughs> it's a, a multiverse parallel version of Spider-Man, where Gwen Stacy became Spider-Man, uh, or Spider Gwen, I should say this, and it's fantastic. They they did it as a once-off. Everyone loved it. And now it's become its own thing, and I'd be a huge fan of her. Um, but then it also, you had Silk in it. They brought back the ultimate Spider-Man, or I should say in this case, the Miles Morales, re- the second ultimate Spider-Man, the Miles Morales version. Again, who I love. Um, and I say, okay, so that's my cheat. That's my, the the one I do love. But then, if I have to, if I have to be true to it, I'd say the, Dare, uh, the Deadpool Spider-Man team-ups yeah. are always fantastic. Uh, like the, the the some of the latest ones, which is don't call this a team-up. 
um, which is number zero on the Deadpool Spider-Man collection. Uh, fantastic. And I, I, I have a huge soft spot for Daniel Way uh, uh, when he wrote for Deadpool because it's ah, yeah. very wise, quack, cracking, very rude, very kind of... Well, if you if you like Ryan Reynolds, you'll like the Daniel Way runs of mm-hmm. Deadpool. Yeah. I think um, it's funny, yeah, because I think with Deadpool, he's the only character that can really... You know, with Spider-Man being all quippy and, and using it as his kind of technique to, to kind of disorientate criminals and stuff, I think the only character that can one-up him on on just absurdity would be Deadpool. So, um, yeah, so yeah. I, I really enjoyed the... Uh, yeah, exactly, um, Spider-Man, Deadpool. That series, I started collecting that, I dropped off, but um, they're, they're very, very fun together. So, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd agree with that as well. Um, yeah, uh Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> before we get into uh, into more Spider Man and Moon Knight, loonies, I hope you're still with us. Um, we are getting to Moon Knight. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just want to quickly go through some um, some news articles that we have this week. Um, okay. So the first one is obviously the big one, the Marvel May solicitations in 2018. Uh, we have an insight into um, into Moon Knight 195 which uh, has a, another cover by Becky Cloonan, uh, and a, ver- a Deadpool, funnily enough, variant cover by Greg Smallwood. Um, and it, it's, uh, it says, <laughs> again, it's, I found this hilarious. It said, beware the collective. Um, so, loonies, I'm not sure. We, um, we, we've, we've kind of dropped it at the moment. Um, the Defenders TV podcast and Moon Knight uh, Into the Night podcast and a few others were all part of this podcast network called The, the Collective. Um, so... Anyway, um, in in issue 195, uh, Moon Knight goes up against the Collective, so uh, that's pretty cool. We get a bit we get a bit of a splash on um, on Becky Cloonan's art, which looks really cool. Uh, the Collective looks like some sort of multi limbed, um, who knows, demonic kind of entity, uh, and seems to be causing Moon Knight a lot of trouble. Uh, so yep, so that's been released. Uh, on top of that as well, a bit of exciting news. In May, so in the May solicitations, um, it's been also announced that the Jeff Lemire run will be released uh, in, its, in its entirety uh, in hardcover format. So uh, that's definitely one for the shelves. And Chris, uh, you know, if you've got an extra, what's that, 35 US bucks, just um, you got to fork that out. Go to your store and... <laughs> and, and yeah, get... I'm just I'm nodding along here going, oh, I didn't know that's coming to me. Okay, that's the yeah. pick. That should be really cool. Have you read the Lemire run as well? or? Uh, I partially read it back in the day. Yeah, um, yeah. I say back in the day. But I, yeah, I read... I dropped in, I think, at the beginning... Um, in single issues and then yeah I, I kind of wasn't clicking back then but uh, I know now that it's like yeah okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to it because I know more about the character now yeah I, I think you really dig it like uh, reading issues 1 to 14 back to back and having it in hardcover format um, it's gonna be great I'm I'm wondering about um, the bonus material you know with it, with these releases they usually release a, you know a few extra bits and pieces so uh, nothing's revealed at the moment from their um, from their description of it, but uh, hopefully uh, we'll get a few more extra bonus uh, bonus uh, you know behind the scenes things. It'll be it'll be quite interesting. Greg Smallwood Smallwood is fantastic as an artist, and again during Jeff Lemire's run, 
you have the brilliance of uh, Francesco Francovia, James Stokoe, who does uh, a lot of sci-fi stuff, and uh, Wilfredo Torres, who I think most recently did the Legion um, comic book series. So hardcover format, loonies. Got to get into it, get that Lemire, um, get that Lemire edition. Uh, another bit of... Uh, internet trawling, I guess, um, I came across, actually, a very interesting article here, Chris, it's, um, it was titled Legion vs. Moon Knight, which has the better portrayal of mental illness, uh, and I, um, I read this, actually, this afternoon, and it's, it's actually quite insightful, um, into the, the, um, definitions of disassociative, uh, identity disorder, and schizophrenia, and multiple personality disorder, uh, in a nutshell, Basically, I hate to say it, but uh, in the comics, they've depicted it all all wrong. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in in one thing, look, if I can just quickly cite something, it, it's got uh, one of the the later Bemis and Burroughs uh, issues, and it has uh, Mark Spector sitting cross-legged in in Central Park, uh, and then you see an old lady with a poodle walking in the background. And then you see Mark all of a sudden shouting at himself as if he's two separate identities. So he shouts out, you know, uh, I'm not a douche. Yes, you are. Yeah, stop whacking me. So he's actually obviously having an internal monologue, uh, dialogue with himself. Uh, but apparently with uh, this, you know, this, this uh, disorder, um, disassociative identity disorder, uh, they don't... Um, alt- they call them alters. Alters are people, uh, the different personalities, and they ac- actually, in reality, they don't emerge simultaneously to fight each other. So, that's a bit of a misnomer, uh, you know, of of uh, depicting someone, kind of, you know, taking both sides and pretending that they're, you know, Joe A and Joe B. Um, uh, it's purely a kind of a Hollywood thing, uh, and similar with also. Um, with Legion, say for instance, and they've cited a couple of old, um, old movie depictions, uh, even Sybil, which I think included uh, Sally Field. Essentially, people with disassociative identity disorder, they haven't got formed, fully formed identities um, within them. Uh, it's best described as they have fragments of a greater personality all altogether. So. So to have these really defined personalities um, uh, within someone having a you know multiple personality disorder is is slightly misleading as well. Uh, and this article is it's quite interesting to read. It also cites as well the um, the issue of uh, when they do go to psychologists and therapists, how um, how there's the 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 risk of, of suggestion from the psychologists. So basically. Um, you know, they've got you, say, I don't know, say under hypnosis. So say, Chris, you're on a couch somewhere, you're lying down and you're in a trance. And it's these yeah. prompts by the psychologists going, okay, well, is there, you know, is there someone else there, you know, in, in the most base terms, is there someone else there with you? Like, you know, is there someone else that is making you feel that way? And this article argues the fact that um, the person, the patient generates that, from the suggestion of the psychologist as well. 
So there's a lot of like uh, like truths unfurled, okay. I think. Yeah, with um, look, I'm no psychologist, I'm no mental expert as well. I'm just going off what I read from this article. But I thought it was very interesting in the fact that how it was um, depicted both in Legion and in Moon Knight, how it is depicted in the comics, with how it is actually, you know, in reality, um, and yeah, there's still a little bit of a um, a little bit of a difference there. So. Um, it's certainly a lot more fun to think that you have different personalities like your Jake Lockley, your Mark arguing. Spector. Yeah. yeah, arguing. But, you know, um, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to give a, a sense of reality here, Chris. I'm trying to bring it down. And, <laughs> and, uh, well, probably... actually, if anyone, if anyone, I, I'm actually quite a fan of, uh, have you guys seen the James McAvoy film Split? I want to see that. That looks really cool. Yeah, no, but... Kay. So yeah. I'll tell the loonies who haven't have a check, have a check out that, check that out, and um, because that's very much uh, obviously about split personalities. Have a look, and um, there it's it's part of the Unbreakable universe, um, ah. so that that will give you an idea or a sense of what maybe what it is. But check it out. Um, I think that one's a, a lot more truthful to what kind of DID is. Um, I say that now, but obviously, it, at the end of it, you'll understand why I'm going like, well, maybe not. Yeah, but yeah, okay. uh, at the beginning, it is. Um, but I do, I, I do love like, yeah, it, it's a, it's it's hard to depict probably DID in a way because if you do it in the way that it probably psychologically is true in reality, it doesn't make the best reading or writing. Whereas if you have a Mark Spector sitting in a green field yelling at himself, having a three-way conversation, well, that that makes it more fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing I always forgot, though, and I never understood, you, you, we can get to this later on, which is in some of the later Legion, which I do love, I love Legion as a mm-hmm. character, um, they they have the... the so that you, who you, you know who is talking... At any individual point, they'll have different font or different colors yes. of font mm-hmm. per character. Yeah. So when they have these three-way or two-way conversations, one would be blue, one would be red, or one would be a different kind of style mm-hmm. font versus the other. So you can always tell who is talking. Whereas the sometimes harder bits for me is... When you do have it in Moon Knight, yes, I think it's always the same, and I'm like, okay, so which characters? That's uh, mm, yeah, no, no, don't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Bemis does um does address that. I think with a little bit um, with you you see apparitions kind of uh behind or next to you know whoever it is at the moment, Stephen Grant or Mark Spector. But yeah, no, totally, totally agree with you uh, as well. And and it would be um be very tropey, Chris. Uh, I don't want to use that word in front of you. <laughs> but, but it would be very tropey to, um, you know, have the old 70s thing with, with Jake Lockley with his um, with his big moustache and his, uh, his handicap hat. And then you have Stephen Grant with his dapper suit. You, you know, it, it just gets a little too on the nose that these guys are different when they're just yeah. totally different looking. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting article. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, give it a read, Loonies. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, there's only there's a couple of other things as well I just wanted to touch upon. I just found this out tonight. 
there's another podcast called Epic Marvel Podcast, uh, and this is brilliant. This is I'm going to do this immediately after this recording, Chris. Uh, there's an interview with Bill Sinkovich uh, on Moon Knight on their podcast. They interview him as well, and I went onto their podcasty you know page thing. And uh, only a couple of weeks ago, they have an interview with Doug Moench, who, uh, as all loonies know, um, is one of the, you know, forefathers of, of Moon Knight history. Uh, he, he started it all, kick-started it all in the 70s and 80s. There's an interview with him, and uh, a couple of episodes before that, there's like a special on Moon Knight. So uh, I think I've hit gold here. Um, so so loonies, um, I've got no shame in, in, um, in shouting out these other podcasts, but please check out Epic Marvel podcast. I'll put it in the show notes as well, and uh, you can you can see uh, interviews of Bill Sinkovich and uh, and Doug Moench as well. Um, finally, as well, this is a, a little thing. It's always quite tentative. I also I always find it quite tentative to do. Um, I come across the issue one ninety two preview pages. So there's about six pages of previews for Moon Knight's next issue, which will be released I think next Wednesday. Um, and if anyone who's been reading the current run knows, uh, there are a lot of uh, multiples hanging up in the air there that just need to be resolved. So if you really want to, um, you know, just can't wait for Wednesday and just want to get those those questions answered, uh, I'll post it up in the Facebook group as well, the pages. I haven't myself looked at it because I, I don't want to be spoiled. We're too close to, to Wednesday, so I think I can wait for Wednesday. Um, but anyway, they're there for you if you want to have a look. Um, and I'll put a spoiler thread through. So if you want to drop your comments in, um, after Wednesday, I'll be having a look at it. And, uh, yeah, we get getting into discussing as well. Um, Chris, are you are you following the Bemis and Morrow's latest run at the moment? I'm waiting. Uh, as I was saying, I, I'm doing a lot of my collections now in kind oh, of yeah, okay. trade paperback. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I'm waiting until I can get all of the series together. I've been, uh, unfortunately, I should say, uh, I when I'm not when I'm not directly reading issue by issue of a issue, uh, I will every now and again look at some of the previews. I'll read some of the articles about that that run, so I, I kind of have an understanding of where things are at the moment and who's who without the overall rationale reasoning of why everything is happening. Um, so I, I've seen some of the the larger shock off factors that you've see, you've had, mm-hmm. uh, or the retcon. Is it really retconning when they 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 basically decide that your character has been or the the persona of your character has been around for thousands of years? I don't know. Yeah, that, that's it's an interesting retconning, is it? No, but that's an interesting. That's one of those things that was funny because it kind of ruffled a few feathers there. But you think about it and. Um, well, for me, it seems logical. You know, it's kind of like a legacy character, like your Black Panther, like your your Ghost Rider or your Iron Fist. Of course, there would be. Like, what would what what would be the reasoning that Conchu would only pick Mark Spector, you know, in the in the seventies and eighties to become an Avatar of Vengeance? You know, it's a mantle. So yeah, I don't think it's a retcon. No, no, and I I, I like the idea, as you said. Um, we had the spider. No. What was it? The, the Marvel one billion, one one yeah, one billion, one billion. BC, yeah, one million yeah. BC, yeah, yeah. Uh, where it was uh, talking about where you ha- you saw the original like 
one of the original Black Panthers. So mm-hmm. the original kind of strange, uh, or Sorcerer Supreme, I should say, before John kills me. <laughs> uh, so I, I really like that, and that's how I saw it when I, I when I heard about this. Yeah, when I heard about this, as you say, this divisive story piece, um, I was like, yeah, no, it makes sense. It really does. Once you <laughs> once you understand that the the well, there is a whole god element, uh, a conchu element uh, to the Moon Knight. And that is more than, as I said, a Batman for the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah. When there is, when you understand, there's the whole mythology behind it, and there's the the the, the Avatar of Ra and all that sort of thing. I was like, okay, yeah, no, I, I like this idea. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to um, when the whole collection comes out. Yes. That that being one of my kind of. One of my weekends where I just sit down for a day and just kind of go <laughs> run through as many of them as possible. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It, it, it is good. It was, it was a good thing that they did. Uh, and what, what I enjoyed about that was that they didn't linger on it too much because I think they've done many stories where they do that. You know, they go into it. So I'm glad that Beam has flagged it, which is good, you know, and it kind of made sense and everyone's kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. Um, whether or not he, he goes back into it, we'll we'll see as well. Look, there's plenty of stuff in there, Chris, to, to really love when you when you do pick up the trade, eventually. But um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think he just flagged it and that's it, and like we we move on. And it's um it informs a bit of it as well because like he's he's trying to build up this whole thing with Amun Ra with the Sun King being a, a, a eternal immortal enemy to Moon Knight, which makes sense because Sun and Sun and the Moon. Uh, and and then being interrelated as well, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a uh, it's it's very cool. It's um it, it's going on, uh, and we'll be reviewing it next Wednesday. Um, but as I said, there's a preview there for Loonies. If you want to have a look at the group, um, I posted it up uh, with my eyes closed. So uh, have a look if you want. And spoilers uh, yeah, we'll, beware. Yeah, exactly. And we'll we'll get onto it. All right, Chris. I think um, I think now, having said that, we have a couple of classic tales here to get through, and you know one of the massive reasons, other than the fact that you're from Defenders TV podcast, is that you're a big Spider-Man fan. For a classic run, uh, this episode we are looking at Peter Parker, double issue. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume One, issues twenty-two and twenty-three, and with that, I think we'll go over the moon. All right, loonies. So we are over the moon here, and we have Chris with us from Defenders TV podcast. And a little different this time round. Uh, Chris is our guest narrator, but he is our live guest. So what I thought would be pretty cool would be that would uh, would be that Chris. Um, can take us through the synopses. You, c- you can be the John for this episode, Chris. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I kind of feel a bit like pressure. I'm like, I've never done a synopsis before. Please, God, let this be good. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and please, God, I hope I wrote it all right. Um, but, uh, but, Chris, yeah, um, if I can throw it to you um, to give us the synopses for, or the synopsis for the first issue. Sure. See? See, John? See why he's out there? Sure. Uh, anyone who doesn't get that, you need to go over and check out Defender TV Podcast. 
<laughs> sure. Okay. So, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 1, Issue 22, By the Light of the Silvery Moonlight, was released in September 1978 with writer Bill Mantelo, artist Mike Zeck, ink, inks and letters done by Bruce D. Patterson, colours by George Rososos, and editor being Bob Hall. A gangland slaying is about to take place in the municipal garage beneath the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. The Magi, having informant Lindy pinned to the wall with car headlights on him and guns trained to kill, in the shadows above, Moonlight watches and waits for his chance. It turns out a plea bargain with District Attorney Blake Tower has got Lindy in this bind. But when all is just about lost, Moonlight swoops in and attacks the would-be hitman. With speed and strength, Moon Knight is able to neutralize four of the gang members, but not even the Avatar of Vengeance can stop a rain of bullets from the last gang member finding his target, Lindy. Lindy is shot and dying as Moon Knight takes care of the gunman. He dies in Moon Knight's arms, but before revealing that the Magi somehow know Moon Knight's secret identity. With him no closer to the lead on the Magi, Moon Knight disappears from the scene as he mysteriously as he arrived. Frenchie and the Mooncopter assist him with his departure. Spider-Man is seen on his way home too after an evening of crime fighting. Tired and not exactly fresh from the day's fighting, Spider-Man changes out of his costume and as Peter Parker hits the showers. A pleasant date with Betty Brandt is in store for the evening and they soon leave Peter's apartment but not without someone haranguing from his grumpy landlady. Although the young couple are excited for their date, both can't help but think of their ex-partners, Peter for Mary Jane and Betty for Ned. In a couple of quick-fire subplots, we see Flash Thompson with his girlfriend, Sha Shen, in her apartment attempting to study for his college courses. But it doesn't take long before Flash is willingly distracted by the attentions of Shashen. Across the city, the white tiger, Hector Alea, laments the loss of his love, Holly Giles. It appears the powers bestowed upon him are as much a curse as they are a gift, as the white tiger screams to the heavens for the pain he currently feels. A little later into the night, Peter Parker is suited up and swinging through the streets as Spider-Man. He chances upon Gina Diner, and his spider sense quickly alerts him to that something is wrong. At the same time, Jake Lockley walks into the diner, fortuitously for the masked man with guns who appear to be looking for him. Before they have time to react to Jake's entrance, Spider-Man swings in and the fight's on. With the help of Gina and a frying pan, Spider-Man manages to subdue the criminals, although one manages to slip out of the diner. Jake follows in pursuit and quickly changes into Moonlight. A well-thrown truncheon chips the criminal and Moonlight pounces on him, showing no mercy. He's eager to show where the big M, the leader of the Magi, is hiding. Suddenly, Spider-Man appears again and throws himself between Moonlight and the beaten criminal. Annoyed at Spider-Man for ruining his plan, Moonlight had intended to be abducted by the men so that he could be led to the Magi. Moonlight strikes out and attacks the web singer. As the two heroes battle, the lucky criminal slips away once again and tries to phone the Magi. Unfortunately for him, Moonlight can multitask. Two crescent darts find their mark. Spider-Man won't be annoyed, annoyed so easily, however, and springs into Moonlight once again to resume the street-level tussle. 
It's Spider-Man who first senses it, but before any cause of action can be carried out, both Moon Knight and Spider-Man are knocked off their feet. Standing before them is Cyclone, the French assassin, and villain extraordinaire for the Magi. With the ability to conjure up small cyclones, the Magi's assassin has the two heroes at his mercy. Yes. Um, what a thrilling ending there for issue 22. And thanks, Chris, for the um, the retelling, uh, the synopsis for issue 22 by the light of the silvery moon night. So, with this issue, it was, um, again, we're still hovering in the classic run, still hovering around the late 70s, early 80s. So we definitely have a, um, a flavour of the time, I guess, of, of this particular issue. And um, for loonies that um, are first-time listeners, um, what we do is we do the bare bones, which is what Chris has just done, which is the synopsis of the, the comic book issue. Um, we look at four main aspects of the, the issue um, and just discuss them as to, you know, um, the, the four main points that make the story. Uh, any notes that may occur, any, any, uh, any fun or, or trivial notes that we find out along the way. And finally, we, um, we mark this out of five crescent darts. So five crescent dart ratings. So Chris, this is, um, to me, this is a very, um, this is very synonymous, I think, with Spider-Man comics in the fact that uh, one of the first aspects I'll put up on, um, on show is, of course, it is a Spider-Man comic, so rightly so, we, we do focus on Spider-Man. Um, there's a lot of relationships here kind of flourishing. Um, so apart from the main story, which is basically Moon Knight um, trying to hunt down the Magia and, and Spider-Man getting, in the, um, you know, getting caught in the crossfire, what we do see is a lot of relationships of, um, of second-tier Spider-Man supporting cast. So what we have, obviously, is Peter kind of juggling how he's going to date... Betty Brandt, who we know from the movies as well. She was played by Elizabeth something or other. <laughs> I, know, I know her face. Yep, I, uh, I, I talk, tilted my head. Elizabeth, like, oh my God, if he knows this one off the top of his Elizabeth head. Banks. I think her name's a Banks, right, Elizabeth? That's yeah, it, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So she's quite, she's, yeah, yeah, she's quite an original character from the Spider-Man, um, Spider-Man lore or mythology. Uh, and it's interesting to actually see that they're they're both dating. Um, as any Spider-Man fan knows, there's the two big ones. I mean, I, I'm a part-time Spider-Man fan. The two big ones for me, Chris, would be Mary Jane, obviously. She's like the number one, and Gwen Stacy, who, um, who unfortunately met a, an untimely end. But uh, Betty Brant here, uh, Chris. Um, a- any thoughts here on? Uh, oh, actually, sorry. Before I go into that, Betty Brant. Um, there seems to be not so much a love triangle. There seems to be a, a love love square happening because we have Peter Parker who's kind of pining for Mary Jane still, and we have Betty Brant who's pining for Ned Ned Osborne. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, is this something that's always happening in Spider Man, Chris? Is this is this? Uh... So the whole relationship thing in Spider Man is always the big one. So back in the day when he was in school, it was always about how could he juggle his life as a school high schooler or college person. Uh, how could you? How can he be Peter Parker and Spider Man? Um, so there's always that dual identity piece, and then with both of that comes 
okay, everyday relationship issues and then everyday superhero issues. So you'll always have a lot of the comics split into, okay, so if he does this with his personal life, it causes this, it cascades down and this next thing happens. And then you'll see at the same time, when he does X on, um, as Spider-Man, this next thing happens. And mm-hmm. that causes, and there's sometimes overlap. So when he's being a photographer in the Daily Bugle, um, I was about to say Daily Planet there. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, when he's there with the bugle, um, you'll see that uh, yeah, he meets Betty Brant. He mm-hmm. he's then also trained to take photos of being Spider Man while dating Betty Brant. Yada yada yada. Um, I was never a massive fan of her, uh, the character. Not not just in general. Uh, I much prefer. I much. Yeah, I prefer the Gwen Stacy. Mary Jane, love of his life, kind of someone he shares his intimate secrets with, yada yada. I'm a romantic at heart. Uh, like, I love that, and that relationship is fantastic. The reason I loved this episode, or this issue, I should say, is because this was about the time where we had Flash. And Flash was. Flash or Eugene. <laughs> Was mm. uh, he's a he's a character. He he's along the lines of Eddie Brock, which is he's been so he's been so intricate to the whole Spider-Man mythos, both were Venom. There's a lot to it, but the reason I love Flash is because later on he becomes the anti-hero. Uh, he actually just becomes a full-on anti-hero. Uh, or hero as Venom, Agent Venom, um, and I loved that about him. So I loved seeing like rereading this and going, oh yeah, he he was still back around here back in the seventies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then we did get to see the actual, as you said, Moon Knight. Uh, this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is where they started to change him into being more the overall hero. Yeah, yes, yes, because he started out as uh, pretty much a, a gun for hire, like a, a, or you know, like a villain basically. Uh, he he uh, premiered in Werewolf by Night, and the sympathetic character there was was Jack Russell, the werewolf. And uh, Moon Knight was hired by the committee to actually take take down Werewolf by Night. So he's starting to become a yeah a sympathetic character, um, mind you. Prior to this as well, um, and we mentioned this off-air as well, um, I had uh, or chatting with you off-air, um, Moon Knight um, teamed up with the Defenders in, um, in David Kraft's run of issue 47 to 51, uh, where he teamed up with Valkyrie, Hellcat, um, the Hulk as well, uh, and he started being a bit more heroic, yeah. But he's still very much, and it's a good point because... Um, it's reiterated in these two issues. It's very much um, Spider-Man's very much suspicious of him, you know. Uh, a lot, and this is what you get up until this point. A lot of the heroes really don't know where Moon Knight stands, and um, and it's just unfortunate that they both come together uh, and they have a bit of a misunderstanding. Um, they they do your typical fight, um, Moon Knight and and Spider-Man. It's great to see two heroes battle it out um, because Spider-Man thinks that Moon Knight's about to kill. This uh, this unnamed criminal or assassin that that Moon Knight comes across, not knowing Moon Knight's overall great plan, 
But uh, yeah, it, it is really cool to see Flash Thompson in this as well. I think he's um, he's very much seen as very different. He's very mellowed out. Like he's he's actually gone to to college now. He's no longer the bully, like the old fashioned bully to Peter Parker. He's kind of grown up a little. Uh, I had a no- I had notes in here as well. He's got I saw books on chemistry and psychology. It doesn't mention what courses he's doing, but they seem quite varied. He's got it seems like he has a stable relationship with Shashan, who again I have no idea who she is, but um, they seem to have a, a very nice relationship together. And and what you were saying also with Betty Brandt, and I find um, really interesting because this is a Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man comic book, is that. It's funny because, um, as you're saying, it's all about the relationships at the moment, how he, how he balances that, and you very much see how he balances it as Peter Parker. But as Spider-Man, in this issue, he kind of falls into it. Like, it's, the, the comic opens up with Moon Knight stalking his prey, right, and, and kind of following the Madger, and Spider-Man actually um, kind of gets caught in the crossfire with it as well so he he wasn't actively looking for the major or these criminals as well he kind of has come across it uh as uh you know just by 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 chance so i think it's very different considering that he's the titular character of the book that he um in in his costume guys he in a way takes a little bit of second fiddle to to moon knight um in in that bit but it's very much Focus on Peter Parker's relationships, I think, in this issue, and uh, yeah, it's interesting because uh, yeah, I wanted to know your take on it because uh, they seem to be very relationship heavy. We see the White Tiger as well; he's on top of the on the rooftop, he's bawling his eyes out. You know, very emotional fella, um, pining for Holly Gillis, his his girlfriend, who he says he can't have anymore because he's turned into the White Tiger. So there's a lot of these relationships happening, um, yeah, and it's, it's quite interesting. But you, you'll see this in, in a lot of Spider-Man, even throughout, up into the 90s, where we had the Clone Saga, where, and there's parts in that where you'll see, it comes down to the, the how can I be one person if I don't have this other person, or am I really X if I'm not Y? So it, think of it as the the relationship between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Almost even like how 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 can I be spied? It's seen. We'll see. You always see it. It's probably Mark Spector. How can I be Mark Spector if I'm not Moon Knight? How can I be Moon Knight if I'm not Mark Spector? Like there's all these always or <laughs> like there's always these different kind of elements of and as you said, it's it, it's about that which is relationships. So like yeah. some of the best stories, some of the, even the greatest stories of. Spider-Man has nothing to do with Spider-Man. It's to do with Peter Parker. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think um, that's really... I think it's really integral to, um, to to Spider-Man, you know. And one of the things I felt at times with Dan Slott's run... Uh, Dan Slott, a great run with Spider-Man, and, and recently announced that he's he's wrapping up his 10-year run with Spider-Man to, to write Iron Man, I think, Invisible Iron Man. But he's had a great run with Spider-Man, had a great, great arcs here and there as well. But sometimes I felt that it missed that little element which you mentioned, which is basically that, that tussle between um, balancing Peter Parker with, with Spider-Man. With Parker Industries, you had Spider-Man, oh, they, were so, they were so separate. And, and it, um, there was a little bit of it, you know, where, where Peter had to dash away and, and change. 
but um, I really do enjoy that that classic sense of um, of him trying to juggle the two and and you and not well not too much in here as well you see two sides of it but you don't see the conflict between the two you don't see yeah. you know um, Moon Knight turning up with with Peter Parker and him having to you know turn into Spider Man or whatever so uh, yeah yeah no it's um, that's quite interesting as well I um. One of the other aspects I put here as well is uh, having mentioned um, Moon Knight and the Defenders, uh, with actually Moon Knight now teaming up with Spider-Man, who without a doubt is a big hitter of Marvel and has always been a big hitter of Marvel, and for Moon Knight to actually actively seek out the Magia, who we know as well is a big criminal organisation in Marvel, um, headed by various um, crime bosses, uh, most notably Hammerhead, uh, we see now Moon Knight really now um, diving into the Marvel Universe, and he's starting to become part of the greater universe, I think. And um, and I put a lot a lot of that down to him teaming up with Spider-Man and basically the Magia, which is which is you know I mean it's no Hydra, but the Magia is a is quite a you know a, quite a, a popular and famous um, criminal syndicate in the Marvel Universe. Um, so I thought that was pretty important for Moon Knight to actually. Um, be tied to those two, um, and yeah, and and as I said, it was great to, to see him um, go head to head with with Spider Man um, in this issue. Uh, another, I, I thought it, I thought it was always fun that what they've done here is so up until recently, you'll have mm-hmm. Moon Knight versus the committee, mm-hmm. um, and the committee is. A lower tier. Oh, very much so. Magi. Yeah, very much. If you if you want to think, the committee is the businessmen. Yeah. Whereas what you have here is, yeah, as you say, it's one of the the the, the larger Marvel syndicates oh, the, or evil syndicates. Yeah, the big hitters. You got that they are in there. You got yeah. you got Tombstone who who becomes part of the Magia as well. Uh, one of my favorite uh, villains, Tombstone. Uh, well, Lonnie Lincoln. Uh, he's one of my favorite ca- uh, Spider-Man villains. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, um, sorry, did I, I, I didn't want to, no? Nope, no, no, that was perfect. No, 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 that was it, yeah, that was, yeah, cool. Um, look, also as well, um, just a couple of, I thought a couple of other notes for this as well. One of the things I found, um, obviously really big with Spider-Man, and one of the big aspects here, and he features in the second issue, is Cyclone. Um, one of your over-the-top villains uh, and, and, and very garish costumes. And here was the big reveal at the end. Um, quite a quite a highly-powered criminal. Uh, I don't know too much about him. I'm assuming... I do remember reading about him in the Marvel Universe handbook ages ago when I was young. But I don't think he's... He's, oh, what, he's a D-lister at best, you know. He's a French assassin for hire. Um, he has the ability to summon very much like Storm, I guess, of the X-Men, um, but only limited to um, the velocity of winds around him. And, uh, yeah, and he um, takes on both Moon Knight and Spider-Man, and that's where we leave it for this issue. Um, so I guess what I wanted to ask you, Chris, as well, is that Spider-Man has had a slew of rogues gallery, like, of, of villains, Um I reckon second only to Batman, right? Batman's had Batman has the the biggest um, range yeah, of well known villains, but um, Spider Man, yeah. Um, 
have you come across Cyclone before? Um, this is the first comic I've actually seen him in, although I ha- I do know of him. Um, but has he has he turned up in any recent runs of Spider-Man that you know of, or any runs that you've read? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. he's kind of okay. as yeah. you said, like he's a bit of a D-lister. Like yeah. I put him on levels with like the Tarantula, which is yeah. kind of like he's this uh, he's this other. Oh, he's this really silly Spider-Man uh, impersonation guy who has big. Mm-hmm. He has spikes on the end of his feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's just oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it was um, cool though. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, Eric Larson. I remember Eric Larson drew um, the tarantula, uh, and he's yeah, he's pretty funky. And he actually met, he actually featured in um, I think he features in Shadowland with Daredevil. Um, so yeah, he gets a bit of a resurgence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh God, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, they're, they're very interesting characters. Very interesting. Yeah, well, the, what's the trouble is we have the Spider-Man is he's been around for years. And, like, the, the truth is, Spider-Man has been around for... Oh, God, what are we... We're looking at... 60 years? Nearly 80 years. 80 like, years, right. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's yeah. been around for... Spider-Man is, is a long time... Yeah. He's a long time hero. Um, but but actually, what, fancy is. Go yeah, ahead. what you what you get with that, Chris? Though I find, um, and again with Dan, Sl- going back to Dan Slot, is that you get um, what I love about Dan Slot as well is that he does resurrect a lot of these D list characters. Um, so with um, God, let me get this right. Uh, with the kind of recent Amazing Spider-Man run, he um, it had to do with the Jackal um, and, and resurrecting yep. all these. All these old, uh, all these old characters. You actually even also had, uh, gosh, where was it? I think it was in Spider Verse as well. You had maybe you had the Carrion, one of uh, again yeah. one of the memorable characters. These are all D list characters, and you had the Zodiac as well, which, funnily enough, Loonies featured in the Defenders, which we um, of the classic run of Moon Knight as well. So all these characters, which you don't ever think about. Um, having a, a bit of a resurgence so to speak um, which is really fun to see it'd be interesting to see if oh, actually what I'm thinking now Chris is that I do have a small inkling god I've got to check this up um, so any loonies please help me uh, the latest Mark Wade uh, uh, run of the Avengers I think uh, numbers one or two I do believe Cyclone may have featured in it um, oh, yeah, wow. so That's... I know, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm delving the depths of my brain here, but I do remember uh, Falcon and Thor, Jane Foster, Thor, uh, and Miles Morales. They fought this villain, and I think it was Cyclone, maybe in a slightly souped-up suit, but uh, he made an appearance as well. So you get all these delisting villains, uh, and they um they actually pop up because I think a lot of these writers love. Um, giving nods to the past. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, I, th- I think um, I think I'll have to check that loonies, and I'll, I'll put that. Um, or if anyone can correct me, please do. <laughs> um, I'd like to check that. But uh, yeah, Cyclone may may very well feature um, in a more recent run. Uh, the, the the reason, that, and just kind of 
to kind of to wrap this up, one of the reasons I think that you'll see a lot of Spider-Man um, rogues being reinvented is well, a has been the amount of time that he's been around, but yes. also it yep. was it was Lee and Ditko, um, Stanley and Steve Ditko, who built a majority of these villains, and and after a while, then you start getting Kane and Thomas and. Uh, John Romita Jr. and you'll get some of the older the the, the older I should say the later generation of guys <clears throat> but similar to what you'll see in the X-Men and what you'll see in Captain America with Bucky and the Winter Soldier and all that what they do is a lot of later artists and writers will go back to the Steve Ditko Stanley era the golden age and we'll mm-hmm. actually go, okay, I really like that guy. I want to bring him back. Because they think they... Not they think. They they know that they can take an aspect of these... Probably back then, let's, let's call it campy, one-dimensional to a degree. Yeah. Characters. Yeah. And then... And kind of... And make them bigger. Make them better. Like ch- taking the vulture, the comedian, Doc Ock, Sandman, Lizard. And building on those. So... Probably the same with Moon, uh, Moonlight. Like they'll take elements of, as you as we talked about earlier, taking elements of the overall lore and then moving it for modernizing it, but just by adding a, another layer on top. Now, as we talked about, sometimes those layers piss off a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yeah. they yeah, don't. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you're like, yeah, that's fine. But the good thing is, these are comic books. They're like, if if you don't like something that the writer's doing, in another year, the, a new writing team most likely will be part of it, and you can come back then, or yes. you can skip over one or two episodes or issues, I should say. Ah, hundred percent. I think I think the lesson learned here for any comic book fans, and you do see outrage here and there, and blah blah blah. But I think the lesson learned is that don't be too precious, because sooner or later, you know, things are just going to be kind of reset and done again. You know, and, and and the beautiful thing about I can't remember I had this conversation with someone as well, and Marvel do it because it it retains that tension. Which we all want in, in in stories in general, not just your comic books or your titles, but in stories. You know, people are saying, "Oh God, when are we going to get um, when are we going to get the real Thor back? When are we going to get the real Hulk back? When are we going to get the real Iron Man back?" But the thing is, with Marvel and what they do, and you know, with these characters for here for so long as well, you've got to mix it up. You've got to keep it keep it fresh. So what they do is that at no particular point. Do they have everyone back at the norm? You know, there's always a little inkling of someone, you know, um, you know, some some extra character, you know, um, still working their way through. And I think that's great. I think that's great because it, it keeps the interest in there with um with people. So, um, yeah. So, uh, well, actually, just to just just to jump in here because I think I I hear like a thousand of the loonies listening to this podcast, um, crying out. <laughs> they are I think Marvel have as of May are doing the fresh start. Yep. Um yep, they are where they they're they're well they're bringing basically they're putting a lot of people back in back in the, the their original spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it, because you got the big three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you have you have um the Hulk coming back slowly now in Avengers No Surrender. 
Uh, you got Cap back, kind of where he was, uh, and now we're kind of waiting for Iron Man to come back. And yeah, Marvel exactly are going to do that. They're going to big the. They're going to bring the big three back. Um, there's the much-touted death of Jane Foster. So so Jane's Foster's going to go as Thor, and we're assuming that Odinson will, will take on the mantle. So, yeah, uh, no, rightly so. Um, there, there is going to be a back-to-the-norm as well. What I'm wondering is, though, uh, and sorry, and, and Wolverine coming back, uh, the hunt for Wolverine, yeah. he's going to be coming back. I just, you know, I take that with a grain of salt. I wonder what else they're going to kind of just throw in the mix to make us just go, oh, we're almost there, you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, because let's well, face it, mar- marketing-wise, that's what what they'll do, you know. Well, look, the, the the unfortunate thing about Marvel, and let's be honest, is Marvel is a company. As much as we love and think about comics as art and stories, and Marvel is a company with a bottom line with shares that goes into Disney. Um. Which is connected to Marvel Entertainment, which, mm-hmm. let's be honest, also has to sell movie tickets. So they will always, as much as we want them, the the writers to be able to, to really go wild with some of these characters, and this is one of the things you're lucky with with Moonlight, right? And I mean, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but as soon as you get. As soon as you they bring Moonlight to the MCU, they're they're locking in a lot of things, um, and I, I I mean that in that they they like Bruce Banner has to be the Hulk now because he is the Hulk in the MCU. Like if you look at the the lineup uh, okay. on changes that they're bringing back to Marvel Comics, is like they're. They're making, they're bringing back all the same people that they are in the MCU. So you have Odinson being Thor. You have Eddie Brock being Venom. There's yes. like Agent Venom is gone, to a degree. You have Doctor Strange being Sorcerer Supreme. Tony Stark being Iron Man. Peter Park. I, as much as I love Miles Morales, I think they'll keep him to the side. They probably change his not to be Spider Man, uh, to very much anymore. You. What they're doing is bringing, um, as I said, bringing everything in line with the the the, the MCU. So as soon as yeah, yeah. as soon as Mark Spector comes in there, you're not going to be able to change very much about that character because they'll yeah, always want him yeah, yeah. close to the the TV shows or the films or whichever he he ends up being in. That, that's a really good point, actually, and I, I never actually thought of that, but that is a good point. You do lock it in, and one of the things, you know, I, I'm quite flexible as well. One of the things um, with Moon Knight is that I, I, I'd be open to seeing a reinterpretation of Moon Knight, you know, whatever that means, you know, whether it not be Mark Spector, whether it be someone else. Um, you know, one of the speculations, or spectorlations, as one of our loonies likes to say, is that uh, with, with this current run of crazy runs in the family, is that we were all kind of sp- speculating whether there would be another legacy character, right? And and I, I was kind of chomping at the bits that, oh, this would be cool. Like, you know, if Mark has a uh, long-lost uh, daughter or son, 
uh, and they take on the mantle, that would be pretty cool because he's the only one that has been kind of really untouched um, with, you know, with these like uh, re- revamped versions of it. And and I'd love to say we ha- we've only seen the Ultimate Moon Knight um, in the Ultimate Universe, uh, and there was um, there was a small one of the loonies put it on the on the Facebook group. Uh, there was um, a version of an alternate universe, and and Mark Spector's daughter, who funnily enough was called Jessica, like as if we had not had enough Jessicas in the universe. Um, <laughs> she becomes she she takes the mantle of Moon Knight, and I thought, oh, Ripper, this is really cool as well. And and one of the things that we're all speculating at the moment with the recent run is that we've been introduced to Mark Spector's daughter with Marlene Dietrich. And one of the little little kernels there that they leave you wondering is that um, apparently Dietrich named herself. So Marlene said, "You can name whatever you, you can name yourself whatever you want." So we're thinking she might be Jessica. She might be this other Jessica that uh, that we later see become Moon Knight. So, yep, there are m- many possibilities there. But as you say, though, um, yeah, if you do introduce Mark Spector into the MCU, uh, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, you are kind of bound by what the the audience would expect Moon Knight to be, um, yeah. So, yeah. Can't be, be careful quite, what quite you wish for, basically. <laughs> exactly. Moonies, exactly. Be exactly. Trust me, as a man who exactly. has had Spider-Man reinvented quite a lot, uh, yeah. Be careful. Yeah. Be, be, be careful. As much as I want, and I, I put it out there. I want to see Moon Knight on the big screen or the small. Oh, screen, I'd love depending. to. It's... Yeah, exactly. I'll be happy anything at the moment. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so just quickly going through, I think wrapping up this issue, um, there are a few notes that I had here as well. Uh, so basically, I want your—I just wanted to see your takes on this, Chris, as well. Um, in the issue as well, Moon Knight uh, uses his crescent darts and he he throws them at Spider-Man and he manages to tear the spider webs um, that Spider-Man is is, is thwipping at him. Um, now, from my understanding of the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man's webs are quite strong. Um, they're actually to the point where I remember a web of Spider-Man, the Hulk had problems trying to rip apart the, um, the spider webs. But we have Moon Knight's crescent darts ripping through them quite easily. An oversight, you reckon, Chris, on, on the writer's behalf there? Or, uh, or does Moon Knight have special crescent darts? I, 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 I'm going to say special darts, but actually more likely it's, <laughs> uh, it's an oversight. Uh, it, the, the way they always say it is, Spider-Man's webs change based on his need. Uh, in other words, he, he changes the formula up. That's how they get around a lot of it. It's ah. like, oh yeah, he used a different formula that was stronger because he knew he was facing the hook. Or, oh, uh, okay. as you'll see in the right. films, it's like, he, he changed his web fluids to make it, uh, to allow for electricity so that he could use tasers. Or then he became, at one point he had, uh, it was actually when, uh, ben Riley was uh, the Spider-Man, or the all-new Spider-Man. He had uh, balls, web web balls, like that would explode on impact. Um, so there's always these different, but then there are ones where, yeah, you see Spider-Man and basically someone with a knife will cut him. And you're like, what? I thought they were as hard as, oh, okay. This, the way I always go, with, ah, it's a comic book. Anything's possible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. I, I, I tend to think, uh, I tend to think he changes web formula there as well myself. I think I can't see Moon Knight doing anything extra with his crescent darts, so um, I'd give that to Spidey on that one. 
Um, the other the other notes I would say, um, unfortunately, and this is further on to my the, the previous episode, just recently gone as well. Uh, it's another instance where Moon Knight uh, is unable to save um, the innocent person. So Lindy, at the very beginning, gets mowed down by a flurry of bullets. And again, we see Moon Knight there just standing and watching as someone dies. Uh, this, unfortunately, is becoming a common occurrence with Moon Knight. So I'm wondering if he's indeed a hero at all, or um, or he just happens to be there, uh, you know, have the worst luck you know, with him. So... Um, so, yep, uh, I found that a bit strange. Moon Knight, um, yeah, seeing someone else die. Uh, no spoilers, but the next issue as well, it happens again. So, so um, yeah, we'll, uh, hopefully he has better luck next time. Um, also, finally, I think... Um, oh, no, my other note was just um, Spidey doesn't seem to be with uh, Mary Jane at the moment. He's very much with Betty Brandt. Um, but I'm I'm assuming it's safe to assume, Chris, that that won't last long. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. Uh, He gets back with Mary Jane as always, um, and then breaks yeah. over there, or is, or she disappears, <laughs> yeah. or oh, the, it, it's literally the Spider-Man is always this on again, off again. So it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Depending yeah. on which run you're reading. He's married to her. He's not married to her. They're they're, they're dating. They're not dating. It's like Superman and Lois Lane. Let's put it that way. Like yeah, yeah. there's some comic books where they're married and have a kid. There's other ones where they're not. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's comic books here, so um, we've got to <laughs> we just, we've just got to roll with it. Um, okay, well that comes down to Crescent Dart ratings here. So look, I'll I'll just kick off here, Chris. Um, for this issue here, which we saw a bit of Midnight, we saw a bit of action as well. To be honest, I really liked the pacing of this after coming from um, coming off the back of uh, the Defenders books, um, with uh, written by David Kraft, which Connor and I found a little slow. Um, it might be a thing of the time. Funnily enough, this is in 1978, and for me, this rolled perfectly. This was great. I um, I read this from cover to cover, um, and I enjoyed every every minute of it. So. I was really impressed with it. I, I, I loved seeing uh, Moon Knight and Spider-Man go toe to toe. That's one of the one of the things that you want with your your you know your heroes. You want to see them go against each other, against someone really big like Spider-Man. And let's face it, he's a massively powerful figure. You know, considering his uh, his stature as a young Peter Parker. Um, I thought the the magic was interesting as well, um, so I'd like to see where where that goes with the magic. And I love um, I love Cyclone, which is a over the top villain, which is very synonymous with Spider Man. And I don't know, there's a there's a level of uh, of comfort in uh, in seeing these kind of over the top villains. I think um, you, you know your Mysterios, your your, your Carrions, your, your Vultures, um, they, oh, your Rhinos. They just seem so over the top. There's um there's a little bit of me that just kind of goes oh these guys are cool, you know, when they're meant to be kind of scary. So, uh, yeah, I would give this, um, I'll give this a solid three and a half Crescent Dart ratings um, for this. I think it's definitely worth checking out, and it's only a two-parter loony, so um, so it's not, you know, not investing too much of your time. Um, Chris, can I can I ask uh, what you would, uh, what you'd give this issue? I'd be 3.5 with you as well. Um, it's, as you said, look, the pacing is is better for the time that it was. And typically, 
they they had these very long arcs uh, of storylines as as much as they do now, which is I can actually see myself. I can kind of kind of argue with myself. They were shorter back there back then, but they felt longer. Whereas now you can have like civil war going on, and it could take take the space of a year or half a year um, to kind of close up. Um, so uh, the, seeing Moon Knight in here was is fantastic, um, and I do like the what they were trying to do with Moon Knight in this. As I said, like they're trying to make him more of this is during the time that they were reinventing him. Uh, they were explaining some of his additional backstory as, no, he wasn't just a gun for hire. He actually was a good guy. Yada, yada. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what yeah. you have is, as I said, you have Thompson in there. It was during, there's the whole White Tiger subplot, which, to be honest, I can't even remember. Uh, like, I couldn't say I, I remembered reading that. No, no, no. That that wasn't there. Yeah. But yeah, look, I'd give it a look. It's a solid three, three point five, Crescent Arts, um, but see, this may be your cup of tea. It may not. I know some people who don't like the the seventies aspects of comic books. Some people do. Yeah, there's a there's a, a slight level of uh, and and we've done it through the earlier runs as well. Sometimes you have to really do take it tongue in cheek as well, and and if you're willing to do that, then um, then I find that you end up enjoying it a lot more. Um, so yeah, yeah. So three and a half. I, I totally agree with you. Um, uh, Moon Knight is simmering on really nicely. Um, he's edging towards 1980, which he gets his own series. And as you say as well, Chris, um, it's well balanced with a typical Spider-Man issue. And, and I think as well, like you know, with Spider-Man being around for so long, I think the writers are very comfortable with how to write a Spider-Man comic at this stage, even in 1978. So. Um, so you get a really well-paced issue, which which is why I think it, it paces a lot better than, than the Defenders. Um, so, yeah. All right, cool. So that was issue 22 of Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, now we have the second part up for review, a doubleheader here with, um, with Chris. So, again, I'll throw it to Chris for uh, the bare bones of issue 23. Sure. God, I love saying <laughs> Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 1, Issues 23. Guess who's buried in Grant's tomb? It was released in October 1978 with Bill. The artist was Jim Mooney. The inker was Mike Esposito. Colours by Phil Ranch. Uh, letters were done by Joan Rosen. And editor being Bob Hall at the time. The Magi assassin, Cyclone, has Spider-Man Moon Knight under his thumb as he tosses him like ragdolls with his cyclonic powers. As Spider-Man desperately grabs for purchase on a nearby wall, Moon Knight attempts to lunge unnoticed at Cyclone. The devious villain is too quick, however, and before Moon Knight can make an impact on his attack, 
he is hurled blocks away with a mighty gust of wind. With Moonlight gone, Spider-Man rushes at Cyclone in the hope of incapacitating him. It seems the two have unfinished business. Cyclone is bitter for the webhead, and it's Cyclone who's adamant that their confrontation won't heed the same result. With both heroes defeated, there's only one final loose end to tie up. And much to the other assassin's dismay, that very same assassin pinned to a nearby payphone by Mark, by Moonlight's crescent dart, Cyclone puts an end to him too. Not long after Cyclone leaves the scene, Spider-Man pops up again from under a manhole. Turns out he managed to hide underground during the colossal winds that Cyclone conjured. Spider-Man discovers the dead assassin and reapproaches himself for not being able to save him. Moon Knight 2 reappears. Having swung back after being blown blocks away, Moon Knight calls a truce of Spider-Man and they both agree to team up to take down the Magi. Brief moments involving the White Tiger and his lament for his love, Holly Gillis, Mary Jane, Watson, briefly dating an uninteresting Marty, and Betty Brand pining for her lover, Ned, are briefly all covered before we return to the action with Spider-Man and Moon Knight. Still slightly wary wary of each other, Moon Knight offers Spider-Man a ride to his secret headquarters, that of Grand Mansion, shrouded in man-made fog. Moon Knight quickly greets Marlene before rushing out to escort Spider-Man to his command center. It's a high-tech elaborate lair which shows Moon Knight has been tracking the Magi for some time. With a clue taken from the dead assassin and Moon Knight's scale model of New York City, the duo deduced that the Magi must be hiding in Grant's tomb, an historic monument in New York. After a quick trip in the Mooncopter, the Webslinger and White Eyes arrive at the tomb and peer inside. Their hunch proves fruitful as they see the Magi alongside Cyclone inside. They are waiting for Big M, their leader, and someone as yet unseen. With a little pre-planning complete, Spider-Man Noon I crash into the tomb, taking the Magi by surprise. The fight is on as both Spidey and Mooney prove to be a handful for the room full of cutthroats. Cyclone joins the fray, but in his haste to use Cyclonic power, his winds cause as much trouble for his own men as for the two heroes. During the fracas, one of the tombs discreetly opens and in the shadow, Big Anne lurks. He still remains a mystery as he quickly decides to avoid the conflict around him and returns to the tomb, still unseen by anyone. The Magi eventually try to escape the heroes and the strong winds summoned by Cyclone. The exits to the premises are however already locked. Spider Moon Knight had seen to that before they instigated the attack. With the Magi beaten, Cyclone is the last man standing and it's Moon Knight who has the solution. Previously Moon Knight had consulted with Stark and had been given a counter weapon to Cyclone. Moon Knight hurls a silver capsule at Cyclone's feet and the liquid gas immediately have an effect. Cyclone is disorientated at the immediate drop in temperature and rapid heading into shock. Cyclone stumbles and then is a victim of his own contraption. He is flung hard against the wall by the whirling winds and with a crump, he's knocked out. Another day, another victory for our heroes. Yes, a thrilling end there to uh, to Moon Knight and Spider-Man's first team-up ever 
in the Marvel Universe, and uh, it, it all happens at Grant's tomb. Um, Chris, I do know that you recently visited New York from um, from the podcast at Defenders TV podcast. Had you ever visited Grant's tomb as well, a, a historic monument? <laughs> I, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I'm assuming it's... I, I, I've heard of Grant... Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was a tomb in. I, I'm okay. I yeah. I, I did I, not know there was a historic monument there. Yeah, I had no idea as well. I, I actually I um I wikied it after reading the issue as well, and it's um oh god, I hope I get this right. Uh, American loonies. I think it's from an old um president or some military leader. Um, that there's a monument of him in uh, in New York City. So uh, apparently it's a it's a big one. Um. And yeah, thank you for that reading, Chris. That was uh, that was pretty cool. That was um, it all came to a head there with uh, guess who's buried in Grant's tomb, and we saw Mooney and Spider Man bashing it out with the mag- magia. But um, if we go into the aspects of it here, there are a few of them I thought which were big things. Uh, the first thing would be the team up with Spider Man. So. Uh, of course, from last issue, it's been established now that these guys are working together. Um, Moon Knight, who wanted to take down the Magia, has now Spider-Man on board, and Spider-Man being the um, the hero that he is, says, okay, yep, I'm with you, let's take these guys down. And uh, they they want to take down the Magia. So um, Spider-Man and Moon Knight, uh, although they're relationship is still very tenuous because throughout the comic you have both of them thinking in the thought bubbles I really don't trust this guy what you know what am I doing um can he really be you know is he really working for the major or is he is he you know a, a genuine fella so you have both of them questioning whether they um they are both I guess heroes um, and one of the big things is that Moon Knight actually brings Spider-Man to Grant Mansion. Um, so this is the first time that we actually see, I think, the first time we actually see Moon Knight invite any superhero from the Marvel Universe to his own abode. Um, previously, again, with the Defenders, we see Moon Knight kind of fluttering about New York and kind of mixing it with the heroes. This is the first time that he's actually taken Spider-Man, a big hitter, back to his place to um to show him his lair, which we find out is more of a, again I hate to say it, more of a Batman esque kind of um, superhero lair, where we see um, Moon Knight. Uh, he's obviously been tracking down a lot of the criminal syndicate in the city, and he's targeting the Major, and he has a a full scale model of New York City in his uh, in his headquarters. Uh, yeah, so we we see um what I found was the big aspect was actually this this um slow integration of Moon Knight into the Marvel Universe. It's another step now that he's actually ingrained in, in the universe. Um, but yeah, Chris, uh, what did you think of these two guys kicking it off together? This... <clears throat> so, uh, the, the, the one bit about this series that you'll always find is, okay, they wanted to introduce Moon Knight to, this. In, to be fair, the Spider-Man audience. They wanted people to go, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to go read about this guy in the two ones or the one and twos. I can never remember which way they call it. Uh, the two and one, the Marvel Spotlight. Uh, the, two the and Marvel ones, yeah, two yeah. And one. Two and ones, yeah. Yeah. Like, 
Grant Grant really wanted this character. Um, uh, Stephen Grant really wanted this character to be someone. So basically, what they did was, do you know what we'll do? We're going to throw in as much as possible <laughs> into this episode, into this issue. So let's bring him back to the base to show off that. Let's yeah, show off yeah. the mansion. Let's show off the, the copter. Let's show off everything that we can. Um, so it feels a bit like one of those origin-esque issues. Excuse me. One of those origin-esque issues where you see... Basically, they throw everything at it. And go, oh, look, you're going to like this guy because of this, 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 this. So, it it's good. And I like the team up that we have here in that you do see that there's... They're not going to do... Well, in, they did in the 60s. The Spidey Copter, the Spidey Bike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Spidey Cave. Like, you're not going to see those things. But... Um, the, this is the, the detective side of Mark Spector, the mercenary side that, that actually is quite useful. So I enjoyed that element of the teen up. Um, but as you said, like it's kind of they it's not the back cave. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> but it isn't. There, there's an element to it where they were kind of like, check it out, he's got his own copter, he's got his own game, yeah. mansion. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think there is a little bit of that as well. There's a little bit of, uh, we can't help but um, kind of fall into that kind of, I guess, trope of, of, of a billionaire person with, with a secret identity and they've got a huge lair underneath their mansion, you know, uh, as well. Uh yeah, but I think exactly what you're saying, that they do... Um, it is kind of like a, a, a who's who of Moon Knight, right? They are throwing things at him, uh, at, the, at the reader. Uh, and previously, it's funny because um, I think there has been a, a steady simmer with, with Moon Knight. And I think Marvel were doing it really well at the moment. I don't know whether it's because they're tentative about the character or whether now, with Spider-Man, they're a, a little bit more confident with the character, so they're starting to try to expand his his universe to the reader. But previously, um, there was a really slow simmer. Um, so if you look at, uh, again, the Defenders um, books at Werewolf by Night, if you look at um, what we just had last week with um, Sean from Only the Valiant talking us through the Hulk magazine, which um, there was a backstory with Moon Knight in it as well. Um, not much is revealed from Moon Knight. He's still very mysterious, right? And it's only with Spider-Man uh, and these two issues that, um, sure, I mean, we, we get little snippets here and there, but they're really kind of, as you say, throwing it at us now, saying, okay, yeah. they're trying to put the pieces together for Moon Knight. And for any reader, it's like, okay, this is what you're going to get, you know? Um, he's pretty much a, a millionaire guy with a with a moon copter and a secret lair. So, uh, yeah, it's it's um it seems that they're and and this is 1978, October 1978, and we all know Looney's out there that 1980 he was granted uh, his first um, own solo title series. So we're not far from that, you know. So it seems that like uh, there's enough interest generated for Moon Knight. And it seems that Marvel is slowly gaining confidence that this character will actually work. And and I think exactly as you say, that we are really seeing it now with, with Spectacular Spider-Man, that, um, that they're really starting to flesh it out. At this stage, you, you know, with Doug Monch, 
and we do know it from hindsight, he still has no idea what, what's going on with Moon Knight. We're still, there's no Egyptian mythology. There's no backstory yet about him being a merc. There's no, none of that. None of that's invented yet. At the moment, all we've got is a, a dude in a white cape and, and a white costume that can kind of, you know, he can fight. Um, but yeah, and that he's got a lot of money. That's all we know. So they're kind of building Moon Knight as we, as we go. And I think that's, uh, yeah, that's what you definitely see from, from these two issues here. Yeah, it's, as you said, you, D- the Doug and Bill run, what, was like two, three years later. Yes. And it wasn't, like, they, they didn't, they kind of, I think later the next year, they gave him the kind of partial backstory, as you said, in the Hulk one, the preview issue, uh, the, the, where they introduced Randall Spector. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Or Shadow Knight? Uh, I no, think. yeah, I think it was I just Ran- it was just Randall. You're right, not Shadow Knight. Um, but I mean, Randall is Shadow Knight, but I think it was purely Randall Spectre. You're right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but then in the eighties is is when they really did the here's a proper origin story. Here's here's Bushman. Here's everything else in between. Like so, at this point, it's like, hey, we have this idea for a character. Let's put him in these different things, so like the Hulk, the previews, the, the the different other the different crossovers where we're like, okay, it makes sense to put him here because I think this could work, and then we'll build a, a piece of the story there until where two years later they've done enough of that, where it's like, hey, we can get thirty eight issues out of this on our own run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and l- let's face it as well, with the Hulk magazine, um, off the back of their successful TV show. Um, they've introduced Moon Knight in the Hulk magazine um, because hoping to kind of uh, approach a new audience. And if you think about it as a marketing strategy, it's very clever because then why not, off the back of that, team him up with one of the biggest hitters in the Marvel Universe, Spectacular Spider-Man, give him more exposure as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it it seems to work because, like, a couple of years after that, he gets his own series. So... Um, it seems that they were pushing for it, but they went down the right avenues to actually get him exposed and, and get some interest in him. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's very... Um, historically, it's quite interesting, actually, in, in this um, issue. Uh, what we Another big aspect, I think, of this issue, uh, and one that has to be kind of called up, is, uh, is the Big M. Um, now, I haven't actually um, investigated further beyond this issue as to who this Big M is. Um, at the end of the issue, this this, this issue 23, um, we still don't know who Big M is. We see him kind of coming out of the coffin and then seeing that there's a whole fight happening with Spider-Man and Moon Knight and all the magia that he goes, okay, well, I'm just going to stay in my coffin here. Like, you know, they didn't see me um, and I'll just bide my time. So we still don't know who the Big M is. Um, and look again uh, it's happened ages ago so uh, I will go into the Wikipedia and I'll check it out and uh, I guess we'll all discover who it is but um, this is quite intriguing because in this in this episode although this ties up the, the two parters um, we still don't see the big the big boss of the Magia as well so um, I find that quite interesting because I always associate Hammerhead and um, Hammerhead with the Magia as well, but it's definitely not him. It's a big M. I uh, any thoughts, Chris, as to who that might be? Like you know, without spoiling it or without, have you checked it out? No, do you, do you know? 
Uh, um, I, 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 if I I'm remembering one. correctly, I think I know who it is. Do you? Um, yeah. I think, but I, I, I'm kind of... Oh, chuck chuck, I, chuck I, it I, out I there. I don't know. <laughs> it's not Magneto, that's for sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, hold on. So, if it was, it was the... the I, think it was the Hammerhead from back to the, the, really? the, okay. the Hammerhead family. Okay, okay. That's, I think I'm wrong with that. I, like, Maybe. I hang on. Try, hold on. All right, let, let's both have a look. Uh, look, you know, the suspense is killing me, so I don't I don't care, loonies. You're just going to have to wait. Let's let's give it a go. Uh, spectacular. Um, Spider-Man. I'm not a good typer, so this, <laughs> this may take a while. Issue twenty. What are we, we look at? Twenty four. Then okay. Hold on. Hold yeah, you on. got it. Yeah, you're a lot more. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Who is it? Uh, there, there, there's two. I, I don't know who this one is. So it's either Count Nefaria, oh, or it's okay. Madame Musk. Ah. Um. So both of them had different points of being the big M. Okay. And I don't know. I'm assuming it's Count. Count yeah. Nefaria in this one, which is founder of the Nefaria crime family. The um, so I'm assuming. Well, it de- he definitely looked male in the in the in the shadows. I mean, unless they were misleading so us. Totally. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's him. And he was then initially he was the leader until his initial defeat by the Avengers, or so says Wikipedia. Ah. Um, <laughs> And look, hey, for any loonies out there as well, um, they'll be happy to know Count Nefaria featured in Brian Michael Bendis's Moon Knight run, the very divisive run, which a lot of loonies hate, Ooh. a lot of loonies love, but Count Nefaria was the uh, the main villain there, the big bad. So, um, hey, we've got a bit of a connection there, loonies. Uh, there we go. So he uh, actually... That, fe- that's probably why they did it then. Really. <laughs> yeah, it could, could it, be. Interesting. Yeah, B and B decided to to use him as a you know a very um, throwaway character. So there you go. Okay, all right. Interesting. Well, uh, okay, I I was completely wrong. I know Hammerhead was. Yeah. He he was a leader of the Magi at some point, or I'm pretty sure. But, uh, okay. Oh yeah, no, he is it, definitely. Wait and see. He was a main guy. I always thought. Um, and and you see it with um. Well, if if you look at. The uh, online games, Marvel uh, Alliance and all that, um, you have Hammerhead as the leader of the Magi, you know, uh, you know, wanting to touch upon the games and stuff. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, he's very much synonymous with it. And he's, with, he's in the latest Defenders as well. I think he was resurrected by the Hood. There's a lot of, a lot of things happening with the criminal syndicate um, in New York City at the moment in Marvel. It's uh, it's pretty messed up at the moment with Black Cat as well. Like, Black Cat has a big hold on stuff. And, and of course, Kingpin with the dead... Um, in Daredevil. Um, so there are a lot of crime bosses um, lingering around. Uh, yeah, so with that, uh, we, we've got... Um, well, let me think. There's a couple of other issues here. A couple of other aspects. Um, I thought... Uh, oh, they're not really aspects. I, I think they're more like notes really um, what I wanted to mention was the Stark tech and even back in this day in 1978 we get a bit of Tony Stark tech that saves the day and although you know this is pre Robert Downey Jr although this was pre MCU friggin status being so good and all that um, Iron Man uh, Tony Stark saves the day here so 
what we have is um, is Moon Knight approaching Stark off off screen, and uh, Stark giving him a uh, silver capsule that will um, that will be used against Cyclone, and we see that towards the end, where um, Cyclone is you know being your your typical mindless villain, just starting to to throw Cyclones everywhere, and uh, what happens is that Moon Knight um, throws this capsule at his feet. It changes the temperature. It disorients Cyclone. He uh, he gets basically a little flustered at the whole thing, and he and he falls down unconscious. and And there's your win. So Stark Tech comes through here. Um, I'm just wondering, Chris. What? Yes, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm just wondering. Yeah, I'm just wondering Stark Tech because it's it's we're not. This is not 2008. You know, this is not. Um, this is not Robert Downey Jr. Uh, this this is actually quite a um, an uncommon thing, I think, because let's face it, Iron Man back in the day was seriously, I think, a B or C list character. I think Robert Downey Jr. has a lot to to, to um, have take credit for for bringing Iron Man up in the fold. Um, so yeah, so to me, it was surprising to see that Stark Tech um, actually saved the day here. Uh, albeit a very uh, dodgy way of, of of beating a villain, you know, this is the seventies after all. Yeah, but so. they they needed the the cliche of oh my god, we just have a pill that's just gonna save the day. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's always the same. But Star Tech was even back then was one of the the, the most. It, that's how they got around a lot of things. It was like it's how it's how all of a sudden like bad guys had laser weapons because of they managed to steal Stark Tech so it, it, it was a it, it was a plot device that they could easily dip into because they similar to what they've done in the MCU which is the all the futuristic stuff is either built by Hammer or Stark or XYZ like there's only two or th- there's only a three or four major the the like Ronson, uh, I'm forgetting one major one now. Oh, uh, oh you mean the, the there, t- okay, the, yeah, there yeah. are. I was just gonna say, like, there's always like these four kind of five major tech companies, and they always have a certain piece of technology. So having Stark Tech in here, and what they're building up in uh, in this is that hey, um. Moon Knight is a millionaire. He's able to buy prototype Stark Tech uh, on what somehow, and that's how they're going to do it. Or I, I don't. Or they're saying that he has a relationship with Iron Man directly. Well, I, I think it's the latter, Chris, as well, because there was a tenuous relationship, and it's one of the early issues that Connor and I. Um, Reviewed, and it was an Iron Man comic book, and it had it was a little story where Tony Stark and Stephen Grant, um, the identity of Moon Knight, both billionaires, they go and um, they inspect this underwater facility, and uh, and they anyway they kind of end up uh, forming a little bond, you know, um, uh, together because. Uh, you know, because they're both rich boys, and uh, and they both end up saving the end up saving the day. So, yeah, I, I tend to think it's probably the latter with um with with um, Stephen Grant's or Mark Spector's ties or affiliations with with Tony 
Tony Stark. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just very... It is strange. As you mentioned, I think you, you were alluding to uh, Roxxon and the stuff like AIM, even AIM as well, Advanced Ideas AIM, Mechanics. That's yeah. It, yeah. They're, they're the big ones that, um, you know, that do stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I found it um, strange as well. I think during this time, I think the head honchos would probably be... Uh, Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four, still always seen as a genius, right? Um, back in that day as well. Yeah. Um, Tony Stark, yeah, he is, he is very much a genius as well. I wonder if um, uh, Hank McCoy would still be floating around there as, um, as you know, your, your scientist kind of, kind of thing. But he, um, he's the scientist in the seventies, but he's not really. He wasn't even the Blue Beast by that point. He's just uh, he's he's Hank McCoy. Yeah. But when you've got like forty thousand geniuses around, I know it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Hmm, we can just pick this guy or this yeah, guy or yeah. this guy. Exactly, it's it's funny like how Marvel do it now. They kind of take the piss out of it because it's um, Amadeus Cho. You know, I'm the sixth most uh, smart person in the in the planet, and then you got like Moon Girl as well. Like she's now she's the best now. I think I think. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. Um, uh, Stark Tech was was pretty cool and and uh, quite crucial in Moon Knight and Spider Man winning and and um, beating the villains at the end of the day. Uh, I thought also a couple of notes here. I thought um, we got to see Moon Knight's underwater entrance again, which I always find hilarious. I think it's it's um, the writers. Although it wasn't Doug Monch, who was it? It was um, it was Bill Mantlo um, trying to keep this mythology happening. And anyway, I think Doug, uh, Doug Monch, introduced this whole fact of Moon Knight having an underwater entrance into his mansion. So he dives into the pool next to Grant Mansion, and he comes out in a pool, which is in his bedroom. And uh, and always, more often than not, Marlene is there. So uh, it's a, I think uh, I just think it's a hilarious way. I think they'll be trying to find a way to make something different than the Batcave, you know, how can we do it, and yeah, let's let's have him dive in a pool, so Moon Knight we know is a very good swimmer, that's all I know, um, because he's going <laughs> to have to do that, <laughs> and as far as I know, no one has followed him through the underwater passage, um, yeah, so uh, the other notes as well I put on was um, the first time that we see Moon Knight introduce someone to his lair, which we discussed about, another funny one here, Chris, I thought that... Um, and I think it's a little bit of a slight on the writing. Um, so there's a massive clue that's revealed that reveals to Spider-Man and Moon Knight of where the Magia are meeting, right? Which is Grant's tomb. So how do they find out that it's a Grant's tomb? Well, uh, Spider-Man picks up a pamphlet from that dead assassin that we see at the very beginning of the of the issue. And as we go through, um, Moon Knight invites him to the lair. Moon Knight has a scale model of the city. Okay, bear with me. Spider-Man's looking at gun. Yeah, cool. That's pretty cool. There's your Eiffel, there's not Eiffel. There's your Empire State Building. There's your blah blah. There's your your Woolworths Building. Oh, Grant's tomb. That reminds me of the pamphlet that I took from the guy. Hang on, this pamphlet is telling us this is where they're meeting. A little dubious, do you think, Chris, to actually uh, to oh, actually yeah. put the two together, connect the dots? I think so. <laughs> Come on, it's it's just it's like you always have the and this is the one thing I'm so glad that I am born and living in my current state because the, at least the, the the writing in these days is a 
be it if you love an issue or an arc or don't like an arc, at least you can say the characters and the storylines are a lot more realistic. It's just, but in this, it's like they needed to get to the next point, to the next point. So it's like, oh, do you know what? Oh, look, there's, oh my God, that's a really cool picture. Oh my God, Grant's tomb. Well, do you know what? I saw this one guy and on the floor beside the table, there was a pamphlet. And what, like, it's like, do you remember the jokes in, um, in Austin Powers? Just about these, like... A, you have all these henchmen, and they were telling the story behind the henchmen we, we never knew about. But then also, it's like, oh my god, this is really handy clue right here beside the. And you're like, yeah, that's how they did it back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although, okay, you had uh, Quincy and Murder She Wrote doing a slightly better job, but uh, overall, <laughs> it, it was in comic books. It was like. Look at this dead man. Oh my God. He's holding the, the, the name of the person who killed yeah. him right <laughs> yeah. there. Well, yeah. What do you know? Let's go fight that person. Yeah. I, 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 um, I, I'm just like nodding and uh, totally agreeing with you here, Chris. It's, it's, it is funny. And, and reading a lot more of these older comics, these Bronze Age comics. Uh, look, you know, I do love them because they're, they're a thing of its time. And, and again, like I said, if you understand where it's coming from and just take it with a bit of tongue-in-cheek, you can have a lot of fun with it. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Today, this day and age, with the writers, a lot more savvy, a lot more, um, a lot more. I don't want to say it, but a lot more thought into into the details of it. I mean, because let's face it, it it does it does wear it on its sleeve. Back in the seventies, it's it's obvious that these guys are kind of just coming up with quick ideas. You know, quick fixes and stuff. Uh, the the plot lines this day and age um, a lot more um, intricate and a lot more well thought out. Um, yeah, but that's not to say that you know we should we should poo poo the, the the Bronze Age comics. Um, no. they're, they're fun. Yeah, they're I... fun. They're good. Yeah, they, yeah. they are, and they they they're history. That's the yeah, thing. It's exactly. Like, we you, we wouldn't you know we wouldn't that every. Yeah, we wouldn't get to where we are today if we hadn't gone through all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so it, it is just a thing of the time. It's very much a zeitgeist um, thing, but, yeah, totally agree with you there. It's, um, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, I, you can't help but pick it up when you um, when you do read it again, like now. Like, you know, we're reading it for a review, and you can't help but, like, go, oh... You know that is a bit dodgy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, you got to you got to flag it. You know. Um, as, as listeners on Defender Steve podcast will know, I am a stickler for tropes on TV. Yep. I do, and that's why you've mentioned tropes a few times in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hate them. I really do. Um, when I'm going back in history and reading these older ones, I, I'm okay with it because I'm like. The reason they're a trope now to me and to other people is because they were used in history, used back in the day so often. Um, but there really is. Sometimes when you'll see these things, you go, oh, no, just just no, no, no. I, I, I know why you're doing it. I understand, Mr. Writer, but give us a bit more... Give us a bit more... Uh, I, I suppose the best way of putting it is credit... That we can connect dot A and dot B. But, as you said, and so perfectly, this is the history. We would not be where we are today without 
Moon Knight would not have his own series. Spider-Man would not have his own series. If they had not done what they did in the past, that brought us to this point. Yeah, so, exactly. look, at it, look at it as a really weird uncle or auntie or <laughs> member of the family. Grandmother. That you just, yeah, grandmother. <laughs> like, you have that really weird like relative that you're like, look, I know why you're, or what you're... Yeah, actually, it's your racist grandmother. That's the way I think. You know that grandmother or granddad who says that really racist thing and you're like... Yeah, everyone kind of oh, like, oh... You can't say that now, but yeah, yeah. we know you're from a different age, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. That yeah. is the best way to look at these historical things where you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, back in the day, you couldn't do that. You could do it then, but not now. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do, do, do you um just I now inter- have the ultimate way of saying that perfect <laughs> that's fantastic now I know how to to explain about the Bronze Age comic books the racist the racist the grandmother, racist grandmother, grandmother. <laughs> but um it, it's funny I I do wonder as well because um just quickly I know um having listened to a lot of your podcasts as well uh, uh definitely you, yourself John and Derek are very savvy with the cinematic side of things and and I always wonder as well what you guys you must have a cinematic background because you do pick up things on you know like on special effects or how things are paced and beats and stuff you talk about that a lot and I wonder if um if you were what if you were to watch an old movie as well do you get the same sort of feelings right with an old comic do you kind of look at it and go oh god that's really cheesy and, and not done or do you go okay well that is what it was of its time, and I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, do you do, do you do that with with cinema as well? I, I do. Uh, I actually, in the last two days, I've w- rewatched the Ocean's uh, Eleven, thir- Twelve, and Thirteen uh, Steven Soderbergh ones. And okay, they're they're still in the thousands, the two, early two thousands up to the mid two thousands. Um, and there's still elements of that where you're like, oh no. But then, if you go back to Raimi and go as far back as uh, Evil Dead One and Two, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep, you, there's elements of that where you're like, "Well, you couldn't do that today," but I, <laughs> I love it for what it is. Yes, um, yeah. go go back as far as Hitchcock, and go back as far as um, the original Blair Witch. Like, there, there, there's some elements in classical films where you accept them for what they are but or other times when you go back and watch certain ones that aren't classics but you enjoyed when you re-watch them you're like ah no that's that that's not what you wanted but overall it's it's still oh it's fun you're watching it for a reason so like if you ever watch the the loony should watch the, the the 70s captain america or the, the yeah exactly or the trial of the incredible oh Hulk. god really or <laughs> where you have daredevil yeah. and uh, thing or thor and yes the Hulk. i love that like yeah 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 it's oh it's really like actually the fantastic four film the original yeah, yeah, yeah. like before the 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 reboot with jessica alba and stuff and that are, are now captain america like there are some Oh, there's some clangers in the or or okay. I'll give you one final example. There was a Justice League of America <laughs> uh, TV pilot made. Yeah. 
which had uh, Starfire and the Green Lantern and uh, the Blue Beetle and the Flash and but it was made as they were all living in the same house kind of like the real world um, for for the loonies who don't know what the real world it was like a reality TV where you'd have they'd follow them around but then interview them and they talk about it so it was that style oh it's so bad it's <laughs> yeah, really. so bad but it, it's so bad it nearly comes back to exceptional it's just like oh it's so bad but so good that's yeah. the way I think of, sometimes the storylines are so bad mm. you're like oh but sometimes they become so bad that they're so good yeah oh, I, I think totally as well and I think that's a lesson probably that we have to take away from this as well cinematic or, or any kind of um in medium, I think in art as well, like uh, comics. Uh, yeah, definitely. It, it, you have to understand the context of its time as well, and and appreciate it for what it what it is back then as well. You know, what they had. You know, they obviously don't have the CGI tech that we do now. It's fine, but look, they made a way. You know, they made do with it. And uh, if I do make another example with the the movies movies as well, plenty of movies that have. Um, uh, upstage a lot of even recent films now as well because they use you know old-fashioned special effects which kind of work really well you know um, as opposed to like now you look at some movies and it's like very CGI heavy and and I, I, I just take I remember like um, just some of your comments Chris like in a lot of the some of the Defenders um, shows as well saying that you know it's very obvious when it's CGI and, and it gets a bit tiresome because it's it's so kind of fake looking um, that sort of stuff, you know, um, and you know, we look back on it later on, uh, I guess down the track, and you would, I don't know, when technology incre- uh, improves even more, you look back on it as well, and um, you go, okay, well, it wasn't the best, but you can see what they were kind of doing. You can can kind of see in between the lines of what they want to do. Um, I get that very much with the Spawn film. I don't know if you ever watched the Spawn film. Oh Tell yeah! Me, oh my God, that is <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Like it's terrible yeah, if you look at it now. But it's so good at the same time. It's like watching a dodgy, I don't know. Like the the special effects were so archaic. It's so funny. But anyway, um yeah, anyway, uh that's you know lessons learned for Bronze Age comics. Chris, let's go to Crescent Dart ratings for this. Okay. So, um so this was part 2 and for me it was uh Admittedly, you know, obviously wrapped up a um, wrapped up the arc. It was good to see Spider Man and Moon Knight together as well. Look, I gave what three and a half for the last one. Um, I I would I would have to say I'm, I wouldn't be more kind more likely to give it a three. I think slightly less. I know you should probably be giving more for the second part because it's meant to really kind of you meant to rush home and and uh, you know finish the story but for me um i don't know like uh it was a bit tenuous having the star tech come in to save the day uh it was great to see the spider-man and the moon knight um team up happen and you you know and towards the end you have them planning so spider-man um spins that huge web in one of the um one of the egress points moon knight um puts his truncheons in the other egress point so you know a lot of planning very cool very very cool um, but you know, Big Big M, 
still really didn't see him. Uh, there were a lot of things hanging up in the air for me. So um, from a Moon Knight fan, not venturing into issue 24 because he's not in that, it kind of left things a few a few things up in the air for me. So um, with that, it wasn't total closure. So I'll give it three, three crescent darts for this. Uh, how about yourself, Chris? Being a Spider-Man fan. I'm... I- yeah. I'm gonna be hovering around the same. I'm not gonna lie. I, I think I said three to three point five for the last one. I'd be slightly less, and it's just because this is what these back in the well, actually no, it'd be around the same. I think then because these are what these were back in the day. You had these long, long Peter Parker arcs where you have that storyline going, but there's these the villain of the week type. Or in this case, villain of the month style uh, issues where they they within two or three issues, sometimes four, they'd do a whole arc mini arc where you'd have the big M or who is the big M or a quick team up. So that's what they were about. Um, so yeah, look, I I you I can't give it more. This is no clone saga. This is no. Yeah. This is. This is nothing like the the Secret War or the Infinity Gauntlet or something where you're like, oh my god, this is some of the best writing in the world. This is what it was, which was a short, quick team up. But it did show that even though even though they didn't trust each other fully, you have Spider Man being brought to the lair. Uh, or to the the headquarters, not the lair. Yeah, yeah. Oh well yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, and I think that's a very important thing from from a Moon Knight fan as well. Uh, as mentioned before, I think it has paved uh, or it has taken massive steps for Moon Knight to to finally get his series, which we see in 1980 and onwards. So um, I think from a Moon Knight point of view, it's a very important. Th- these two issues are very important in the fact that they team up with a big hitter, Spider Man, um, to kind of get him that exposure. And uh, and you know he holds his own against him, and and he um and he's mixing it with the Magic as well, which are uh, another big syndicate in the Marvel universe. So, uh, yep, yep. So I think would um well I think average Chris then it's probably a yeah three point two five for both for both um issues I think as an average, uh, which is n- nothing to slouch at. It's uh that's pretty good. It's like what seven seven out of ten six and a half. <laughs> that's pretty yeah, good. yeah exactly like and. So look, if if the loonies are going to this and expecting Bendis or Ellis level mm. of writing, oh, yeah. you're don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. if you're if if you want to, as what this is about, diving into the history of your characters and also getting a taste of the the history of some Spider-Man stuff, you're you're not getting some of the best. You're not getting. You're not getting the best work, but you're getting a fl- taste and flavor of what the character used to be. Yeah, no, that's the best way I can put it. No, exactly, exactly, and uh, and look from the outset as well. I, I did say that these are, I mean, even by modern standards, pretty reasonably paced as well. So a lot of the Bronze Age stuff you do, you know, it can be bogged down in text and stuff. Um, I'd recommend these loonies if you if you do want a fun read. I mean, they do they do kind of seem to pace themselves, and you, you flick through the pages quite well. Um, so the pacing, there's not a problem with it, um, and there's enough action in there for me. I'm, I'm a big action man 
uh, Chris, so I always need a bit of action in there. I don't, I don't mind the old relationship, um, you know, problems and, and uh, dramas as well, but, um, you know, fighting Cyclone is, is quite a, a cool thing to do, so yeah. So, um, yeah, there you go, Loonies. Um, issues 22 and 23, given roughly about, uh, you know, three and a half, three to three and a half Crescent Dart ratings. So, fantastic. So, um, so I think that, that, that pretty much wraps it. Um, Chris, thank you so much for, um, for coming on board as well. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Man, look, I could, seriously, I could talk. I could talk your ear off um, for a, another few hours, uh, and, you know. I, I'm being t- totally sincere. That I know you're saying as well that you can. Uh, what did you say? You can talk to a wall. You can talk a wall off. I can. If if a, if a wall had ears, I'd talk if to wall it had ears, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I reckon uh, you've been an absolute pleasure to have on here. Um, really good insight into your spidey knowledge as well. Um, uh, I'm really excited in the fact that you're delving into a bit of Moon Knight as well. So. Um, uh, I'll be I'll be at your ear, you know, keeping at you with um with Moon Knight recommendations. So, uh, yeah, I hope you stay on, uh, in our Facebook group. Totally. Um, next phase. Oh, I will. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, next phase. Oh, actually, before I go into next phase and and um and further to what we we're just saying, we have a bit of a crossover, don't we, uh, Chris? Um, so. Uh, Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. We are crossing over with Defenders TV podcast, which uh, have so graciously um, rebranded themselves only for the time being as the Doctor Strange <laughs> Defenders TV podcast. Uh, and we are also teaming up with the Inner Demons, a Ghost Rider podcast, and Sons of the Dragon, an Iron Fist podcast. So this is so cool. This is one of the big events I've been looking forward to this year. All four, for, all four podcasts coming together to review the whole of the Damnation event by Marvel, uh, headed by Donny Cates and Nick Spencer, with art by Rod Reese. Um, and we are, between the four of us, covering the core books, which are Damnation 1 to 4, and all the tie-in books as well. So uh, the Defenders boys are taking on the Doctor Strange element, um, which I think is issues 386 onwards. Um, we have Inner Demons doing uh, Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider 1, and Sons of the Dragon doing the Iron Fist Contingent. Um, one of the things I did mention to you, Chris, just briefly before we started, uh, Moon Knight, we're, we're taking on the Scarlet Spider tie-in books. Uh, a, a little bit of a stretch, uh, hence the title of this episode, The Spider and the Moon, but uh, we're looking forward to it. Um, I do understand that you have a bit of knowledge with the Scarlet Spider as well, Ben Riley. In, in a nutshell, how would you describe, <laughs> how would you, uh, describe his uh, journey okay, so far? So, okay, so the Scarlet <laughs> Spider has been a product of the 90s where Marvel try to reinvent a lot of their characters. So with this came the the clone saga um, with multiple Peter Parkers running around. Uh, ultimately, they one, one would become Kane, one would become the Scarlet Spider, and i.e. Ben Riley, and the third being Peter Parker. And there was a whole crisscross of who was the actual real Peter Parker, who were the clones, all this done by uh, Warren, I'm going to say Alice, but that's wrong, <laughs> um, which was the, the Jackal. <laughs> um, and you had Ben Riley, who thought he was the clone, 
for a time becoming wanting to be he wanted to do something uh, well he wanted to he wanted to be a hero so he basically took the hoodie uh, which had a black blue hoodie with a black spider on it and became this kind of quasi spider-man called the scarlet spider and uh, then later on it, the the arc took it that he was actually he was actually the uh, real Peter Parker so he later then became Peter Parker and became or he well he stayed Ben Riley to a degree but he became this Spider-Man <laughs> so he took on the, and there was this really cool all new Spider-Man where he took elements of the Scarlet Spider uh, and uh, the Scarlet Spider suit so I did the big a lot of people will, may remember this as the web shooters were on the outside of his costume. They had their kind of ring of kind of. He had a ring of uh, web fluid on the outside with the shooters. He had the suit, which was a mix, as I said, but had a big, huge black Spider Man or black spider on the front and the back. Very cool, very iconic. It continued on, then it turned out that Peter Parker was the real Peter Parker. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so he disappeared he came back he disappeared and now he has this newer yeah. series uh, where you do have the, the you have Kane Kane being uh, his own character you have Ben Riley back being the Scarlet Spider um, and then you have Spider-Man so they've kept all three of them I'm interested to see how they bring the Scarlet Spider into uh, the the damnation overall, because yeah, Spider Spider Man's never been huge on the, or the Spider Man. I was gonna say he's never been huge on the magical, but there there are. I can hear people screaming, going, "Yes, there is some major ones that are like Mary Jane related, uh, and May related, uh, which includes the supernatural." So there's a. I'm interested to see where the. The, da- the damnation crossover how this brings in this character um, I will be brutally honest and say some of the, the newer work I'm less up on in terms of the new Sp- Scarlet Spider stuff um, but I, I'm interested to see I'm going to be doing a quick crunch back on Marvel Unlimited to try and lead me into this yeah, I, I think um, I think we will as well have to do that as well. We've, we've got to get ourselves reacquainted or um, up to date with the Scarlet Spider at the moment. I only know geographically that he has been in Las Vegas, um, which is where the whole damnation thing is is set. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know where the connection is with the mystical side of things, um, but it makes sense that he's in Las Vegas. Uh, and, and and you know, speaking to our other um, high priests like Rebecca as well, saying that yeah. He, he's very much set in, in Las Vegas, so um, I can see the connection there. But, yeah, I'd be interested to see how he tackles on the likes of Mephisto as well. So um, it'd be very interesting. I'm only hoping that uh, that Moon Knight features in a lot of these Scarlet Spider issues as well. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. Uh, yeah, so there you go, Loonies, a crash course with Scarlet Spider from Chris from the defenders, our, our, our spider expert. <laughs> um, I, I, I uh, did not use that word. <laughs> you did, but I didn't. Just in case anyone ever goes, he's not an expert. Nah. Well, maybe. No, nah, well, you, you know, you know a lot more than I do. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, look, 
Hey, so uh, next phase as well, apart from this crossover, which um, kicks actually kicks off um, with Sons of the Dragon this weekend. So um, at the end of this weekend, loonies, just keep your eyes out on Sons of the Dragon, um, and they'll have their episode reviewing Damnation 1. Um, in the meantime, uh, we will be heading off next week with our review of the latest Moon Knight Volume 9 by Bemis and Burroughs, Issue 192, which we mentioned earlier on in the news um, the news section. Uh, so there are previews up there on our Facebook group, but this is Crazy Runs in the Family Part 5. Uh, we'll do a full review of that issue. That should be very exciting. I can't wait. Wednesdays. Um, one of the loonies, Tommy, always, uh, I think it was Tommy, said... Um, you tend to forget when Moon Knight comes on board and you just get excited when the new issue comes. So I totally forgot that it's actually coming around this Wednesday um, and I'm totally with you. So uh, we'll have a guest loony as well. Uh, he's put up his hand, Corey. Corey will be narrating um, for us uh, issue 192, so looking forward to that. Um, Spectacle, our shout-outs. I would like to, again, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. It has been an absolute blast. Um, yeah, you are fantastic to chat with. Uh, so much, so much fun. Um, Chris again is part of the Defenders TV podcast. I will put um, the links in the show notes. As mentioned, Defenders TV podcasts are part of the collective as well, so um, I'll have a link on there as well. So um, easy to catch up on their webpage or Twitter or Facebook page or group. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Any other shout outs there, Chris, that you you wanted to mention? Just really quickly, uh, so on Netflix, what we we have Jesse Jones season two mm-hmm. kicking off on the eighth uh, of March, International Women's Day, I believe. Not that yeah. long, yeah. Um, not that long. So we're gearing up here, getting ourselves ready. Um, so make sure you uh, come over and listen to us there. Uh, hell, if you even just want to go do on do a back catalogue there's a lot there we recently just finished the Punisher run uh, and we have Black Panther review in there Mm -hmm. as well you can find us on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast we're on Twitter you'll find us everywhere we're on iTunes we're on uh, any good or evil uh, podcast catcher Um, so you can just find us there but uh, I love what the boys and the High Priest of Conscious do here Um, so um, yeah if you have any spidey questions uh, as much as I can throw them out on into the night group and I will uh, answer them when I can yep oh fantastic thank you so much Chris um, just one final um, spectacle of course talking about the Damnation crossover again um, please uh, look out for Sons of the Dragon the Immortal Iron Fist podcast they will be reviewing Damnation issue 1 uh, and that will be followed I think about a week after from the 28th onward the Defenders TV podcast will be um, reviewing Doctor Strange issue 386 which will be a tie-in to the Damnation crossover so uh, yeah parts 1 and parts 2 we're well underway with this crossover it's so much fun um, where you can find us also as always email us on moonnightpodcast at gmail.com uh, we have a website into the night podcast.wordpress.com uh, Facebook we're both we both have a page uh, ITK Moonlight and Facebook group so facebook.com slash groups slash into the night with a K um, Twitter uh, at ITK Moonlight and uh, we are also uh, present on Instagram Tumblr YouTube 
um, Spotify as well. So uh, just just uh, search for Into the Night with a K, a Moon Knight podcast, and, and you should find us hopefully. Uh, and again, one final thing, the collective as well. It's a group of, uh, I think, about 12 or 13 of us. Uh, fantastic podcasts, um, really enjoyable. One one final little thing I want to add, Chris, um, just before we sign off. Um, IAYTD, I think. I am your target demographic, which is one of the one of the collective. They have a great YouTube channel, and uh, we spoke a lot about. We were alluding a lot about Moon Knight and Batman. Okay. Well, they have um, battles, and every Friday they do battles. And I just recently watched Moon Knight versus Azrael, um, which I'm sure you know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. amazing how many similarities are between the two. Um, so, anyway, Loonies, uh, I urge you to check out at uh, I A Y D T. I am your. Oh, sorry, the other way around. I am your target demographic. So just look up that on the YouTube um, YouTube and their channel. Fantastic. A lot of fun. And that's headed by Adam. So thank you, Adam, so much for providing such a great um, repository of information. Anyway, that's it from us now as well. Thank you so much again, Chris. Um, absolute pleasure. And uh, I will sign us off by saying, May Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Catch you later. See you guys. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.